This episode was brought to you by The Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to The Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Dan, thanks for joining me for episode 71 of the podcast. I'm actually keen to catch up with you a little bit uh, on some episodes we did one at Copeton, a memorable one. We also caught up about Bar and Jack Yellers and actually surprisingly one of the most popular or comment, well not surprisingly, it's understandable, uh, popular and most well-received episodes was the one where we talked about Barrenjack, but also a little bit about uh, mental health and things like that. And I think yeah. that's obviously why, and you've had heaps of feedback on that. We'll touch on that yeah, a little bit later. But uh, how you been? How are you enjoying this spring? Yeah, um, Not. Short answer, not enjoying. What's, well, what spring? Really? It's, um, I had the fire on last night. It's you know the 22nd of November, and here I am with a wheelbarrow full of wood to put the fire on. So... Um, it's been very clunky, I would probably describe spring this year. Um, rubbish. Yeah. You were about to say rubbish. Yeah, yeah. rubbish. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Terrible. Exactly. But it is what it yeah, is. Better. And even though yeah, the yeah. rivers are out of action um, and some impoundments have copped the stack of water, I've surprisingly, yep. if you time your fishing right, we've still had some really good trips. We've still had some oh, yeah. really good sessions. Some of the best sessions I've had on Yellows, I have had better, yep. but right up there no, um, if you time it right. It's funny you mentioned that because I had this exact conversation with Dylan last night. We were at the dinner table and just, you know, yes, the fire's roaring and we're all nice and warm inside. And I said, oh, you know, spring's been really rubbish. And he kind of looked with that puzzling look and said, really, Dad, has it? Like, no, we're talking from a fishing point of view. Yep. He's, has it? I'm like, actually, now that I think about it, well, even though the overall the rub, the weather has been rubbish and the dams are all full and, you know, we've had to put up some rain and ordinary conditions, I've actually had some really, really good sessions, really, like you say, really memorable sessions just by getting that timing right or being there at the right place at the right time. And, you know, I've caught three yellows into the 60s. We've had... Windermere was good. I've had a couple of good sessions of blaring. I've had some good sessions of Burrenjuk, which overall has been quite tough. So, mate, that that timing is a really, really um, important point, I think. So, all yeah. in all, yes, what... it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard to plan a trip. It's hard to time a trip. But if you get it right, um, yeah, you can d- definitely get some good results out there. I think you've <clears throat> nailed that saying that you've got to time it right because if you are restricted by the days you can go, it probably would have been a pretty miserable spring. Like we only just squeezed in the trips we did. The Windermere one, we're both lucky enough to be able to pick our weather and and we only just, just scraped in the weather there before it started filling up and toppling over and the fishing slowed down a little bit. That's right. Um, Yeah, it's been pretty tough up there since then. Yeah, yeah. Blaring, I had the best session I've ever had in a short window. Um, With Noah, we got... My little fellow, we got six. Well, I got six fish in probably two hours of fishing. I've never ever experienced that yeah. on blaring before. So, you know, there's been yeah. these pockets and these windows, but if you haven't timed it right, it's been poor. Like, we've been there, I've uh, been to blaring, a talus went to blaring and caught nothing 
when he timed yes. it wrong. Um, I know plenty yep. of people have struggled at Windermere, timing it wrong. Same would happen yes. yep. everywhere else. Uh, Hume as well. I had a good session, but I know other people have timed it wrong and not had yep. good sessions. So, yeah. Overall, yeah, exactly right. yeah, it's been a bit here and there. But um, interestingly, though, you know how we've had this stop start um, situation where it warms up, cools down, warms up, cools down. I actually, yeah, I actually thought that that was the the reason why blaring actually fed so well this year is because they kind of went to spawn and then didn't and then they'd go to spawn again and then didn't and so there'd be this bite window on this trend and you could almost pick it it concentrated yeah their bites whereas when you get a beautiful normal spring you've got like this lead up of you know yeah early spring's good really yeah yeah then it rolls through in october and like it, they got to get the bite before they spawn and then after that they sort of all scatter and it's just they bite here and there because they can bite every day they want. Whereas here, I found, like I said, if we timed it right, the, the, the sessions were almost better than... It's like it was really poor or really good yes. because they're feeding yeah. in that particular bite window of that week. You go, well, they're going to feed for those two days because the weather's been rubbish. Yes. Yeah, and that extended it, didn't it? Like it was no longer just a week or two. It's been ongoing for several weeks as long as you had that warming trend only you know a couple of days leading up to a session if you know if you were able to plan it, it they were they were there and they were keen and they were because they hadn't gone full spawn they were still happy to choose so yeah it's kind of bad but kind of been good at the same time i suppose yeah and you can always make something out of poor conditions in the sense of fishing overall, probably not if you look at rivers on their own, isolated at the minute. Uh, yeah. But if you yeah. look at the availability of what we have to fish for in the freshwater in New South Wales, Victoria, Southern Queensland, with the impound, the mix of rivers and impoundments, seasons, four times a year, there's usually something you can do. You might have to get in the car and travel three or four hours. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But there is usually something some sort of something going on. Like Lake Hume has fished incredibly well uh, last yep. year and also this year. Um, blaring fish very well for us. Wyangla fish really yes. good over winter. It'll fish good this summer if that rain settles yep. out. So there's plenty of options. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I took the boys for a trip up over the hill to you can be in the other week. And, um, you know, it was just something different. That's probably an example of the timing not working out quite so well for us. Um but yeah, it, you know, there's like you say, there is so many different options out there um, to get your fishing fix in, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting trip. I know that we spoke about it briefly, but um, you know, we talked about being able to time our trips to blaring quite well. Um, but yeah, we uh, we went up there to chase some trout, and basically we were a few days late because you know things had sort of changed. The, the, the rise in the lake hadn't been quite so high and, um, you know, the fish that were gorging themselves right up in the shallows just weren't quite there. So, um, yeah, interesting little session, but like you say, there's always an option somewhere. So, was it because, just we'll touch on it real quickly because it's interesting. Yeah. Because I always like, say you go on a bad session, say you go, this is what makes, uh, this is what changes the way you fish, I think, from sort of catching fish occasionally to catching fish all the time or consistently. Yes, we have bad sessions. Yeah. Like you went for three days or two and a half days and got two, three fish. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but the thing is now what you got to do is you got to go, right, what went wrong? Because when, or what, why did they not bite? Because if you can learn why That's they don't right, yeah. bite, 
then you can. This all comes down to fish behavior, which is something I really want to talk about, and it, 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 yeah. it includes cod, yellows, trout, everything, every fish you catch. Um, yes, and we'll yeah. actually talk about human a second because it leads into that. But so, what what did you what do you believe? And it's hard when you're only one person fishing, like one perspective. But you said you talk to people there as well. What do you believe has happened? Do you think? Because I originally thought that they will continue to bite right through till summer because it's being cooler up there. Um, yeah. This is referencing casting or, or fishing up near the surface. I'm not talking about getting down deep because that obviously work all yeah. summer. So I thought yeah. that wouldn't be too bad. Um, but what was the issue? Was it weather? Was it they've already fed too much? Was it that snapping, cold snap and low barometer? What was? Yeah, so there was probably a few different factors. And if you sit down and have a look at the overall conditions that we um, were met with when we arrived at there, we did have a pretty poor barometer. Um, we had, um, you know, we had some wind and stuff, which generally I would say is actually not a bad thing for fishing high up, um, you know, in the edges or up in the top of the water column in those um, trout lakes. Yep. Um, but I think the biggest factor that I've been able to sort of put together, and this is from my experience on our trip and also speaking to another fellow who'd been there, you know, a week or two earlier, is they had a, a really good rise in water level there, flooding a lot of freshly, you know, a lot of grass and there's runoff coming in, soaks and things that were pushing worms and beetles and things into the water. And so you had almost like a feeding frenzy where all these trout were coming right up into the shallows, feeding up really, really well. But once that condition changed, you sort of then got a lake of fish that have been really, really well fed, being able to feed really easily right up shallow. That bite window for them has changed. That food source has changed. And so all of a sudden you've got a lake full of fish that are well fed that no longer have that feeding source. And they just, to me, they just sort of, scattered out so they pushed away from the edges a little bit because another thing is the week leading up to our trip we had three or four days up there that were quite warm and sunny which increased the water temperatures yep and that always that's always going to push them away from the edge they're they're a cool water species and so i think that's you know just a few of those little factors that actually meant they didn't have to feed you know we we cast edges with plastics and hard bodies and things like that. Um, my boys through, you know, Tazzy's um, soft plastics, Celters. We had several short strikes on the first afternoon, yeah. which I, straight away I thought, you know, I, I, that, you know, we actually didn't land a fish. So we got up there at lunchtime-ish. We trolled for a bit just to have a bit of a scout around to see what we could sort of see. Um, pushed into a bay and fished up till dark and didn't boat a trout. And I went, oh, this is not exactly what I'd spoken. You know, I'd hype this trip up with my kids a fair bit and go, yeah, lake's full of fish. They're always, they'll be feeding because the weather's cool and blah, blah, blah. They've been catching heaps of fish. Yeah. And it just didn't time out right. I spoke to a guy at the boat ramp who'd been there. I think he said it was about 10 days earlier and he caught four, 13 or 14 trout up to, you know, really good-sized fish on the edges in, you know, a short day session sort of thing. Yeah, well. He spent the day there. He spent the day there on Saturday and he landed three fish exactly the same as us. He's like, it just that's just the way it goes. They just weren't switched on to that, you know, 
edge bite sort of thing, that shallow feeding worms, beetles, all that sort of stuff being flooded in is not happening anymore. So they've just sort of spread out and they're just mulling around, potentially waiting for it to happen again or just going sort of finding the groove back into another food source. Mm. And so, we, yeah, we, we sort of, yeah, we struggled for sure. Um, we ended up catching a couple of fish on the troll, fish on bait, um, but I mean, that's not really what we went up there to do. We were sort of more about sort of casting those edges, but you know, we tried to adapt with what we had on board to, to try and um, get into some fish, but yeah, sometimes that's just the way it works out. And I think the opportunity for learning is just as great in catching as, as in not catching. Yes, that was the whole point of uh, what I wanted you to explain that. Yeah, and so you can't always, you know, we've got work commitments and family commitments and all that sort of stuff, so you can't always just go, rodeo, bang, that's, that's that three-day period I need to be on the water on that day because it doesn't work out that way. So, you know, you can have all these learnings, but I guess it's all about having all that information on board so that when you do arrive out on the lake, the river or wherever it might be, you've got all those little tools in your box and go, rightio, these circumstances played out once before, I'm going to try this because X, Y, and Z is the same. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go out and thrash the edges, you know, the same way again potentially next time because like you know what i've wasted all that time maybe i should have tried something a little bit different or a different option a different area of the lake even push a bit further down where the water was um potentially a little bit little bit cooler so you know you've got to keep all that information in your kit so that when you you know when you head out this is the circumstances that you've got this is how we're going to adapt to them and basically build your session from there, I suppose. Yeah. So critical to not just get annoyed and go, well, that sucked. It's try and take something away from it, try and learn so that then next time if you find yourself in the same situation or first change the situation, so go on a different day or a different lead up, that's the first step. But if you do find yourself out there again in a similar situation, you'll understand it quicker, you'll work it out quicker, you'll go, right, this isn't right. Maybe it's a shift to the other side of the lake or... Next time, yeah, if you're going up and the conditions look very similar, similar time of year, try a different end, try a different scenario, yeah. try a different technique earlier, um, and it all yeah. it all it all adds up, and that's that's pretty much what we share in the membership, so that you're not just learning from your own experiences, you're learning from others, so you're resorbing yeah. basically that scenario Absolutely. you've just explained, you've written a story about that. We talked about what we did yeah. at Windermere. You can absorb all that. And then go and approach your session a completely different way to going, as you would say, blind. Um, yeah, definitely. Any I mean, I was, yeah, I was just gearing up to sit down and just write an update for Burrenjuk after a trip on the weekend, um, which was quite interesting too because I went up for a little charity comp up there and so all of a sudden you've got, I think they had something like 60 boats there spread out. Yeah. And I'm able to sort of gather that information and put it into a, into a story and that's been really interesting for me because I get to learn from all those experiences from all those other boats and then obviously share it and put up a story but um, you know an update on, on what the fishing conditions were like and again if you turn around and go right yeah well this weekend which it is it's looking sunny coming up um, and I mean this could be you know any time in the future when someone's listening to this right this is the circumstances that happened I think this is what's what the fish are going to do this is how they're going to be feeding this is what level they're going to be sitting in the water column one of the interesting things i've worked out up there is that the guys that trolled quite um shallow in the water column were the guys that were catching more fish yeah um 
a lot of guys were fishing under them. Um, obviously, we were on the live tech out there. Um, we had a boat trial pass, and you know they were struggling, and said, "Look, guys, lift your lures up because you know you're basically fishing under the fish. They've all got you know deep diving hard bodies on, you know, running that sort of lures in five meters depth, and you know the fish were sitting up two and three meters from the surface." Didn't you say there were so blokes trolling with just like a metal blade, that looked like a spinner with worms on it, and they yeah. were trolling in two meters catching fish? Yeah, trolling spoons. So they're just basically a like a spinnerbait blade, like a Colorado blade, um, like an inline spinner sort of thing with a with a worm or a yabby trailing on a hook. And um, and I mean trailing, I mean it's sort of all the one bait. It's almost like a selter, like an oversized selter. And, they, you know, those things only cruise along, um, you know, a couple of metres from the surface. Um, they just poke along nice and slow. And those guys are actually doing really well. One guy caught seven fish doing that with his kids, which is fantastic, a really good day out in the water. So And you're saying people who are know, using proper timber-made hard bodies that work really well, effective. Yep. Problem is, yep. they were just too deep. Yeah, so they're letting miles of line out behind the boat and those lures are getting down there underneath the fish. And as we know, fish are always going to want to feed above them rather than below. They're very, very unlikely to turn their head down and eat a lure. So they're basically fishing underneath the fish and putting themselves out of the game where, you know, there were some other guys using deep diving lures, but they're keeping their lines quite short. They're in you know, a couple of rough old tinnies out there, just dragging lures around, but they're only just flicking them out the back of the boat and away they go. And they were picking up fish doing that way because those lures are restricted in how deep they dive. And, um, you know, that was, that was basically putting those lures in the right zone, doing it that way. But it's not saying that the technique that didn't work is a bad technique by no means because I've caught heaps of yellows doing that. It's about using Definitely. the right technique in the right scenario. So to have learned exactly. and you would if they even if they didn't talk to you, if you were just to watch, if you had a traditional sonar down scan, side scan, whatever it is, if you yep. were to watch your sounder, yep. you would pick up on that. You would notice arches. Even if you don't know if they're yellows or carp, if they're all up yep. high just go well hopefully some of them are yellows and just try it try even when there's yeah, two yeah. in the boat someone fish you should never fish the same on any session when you first start out um no. different lures or different especially when you're trolling one fish higher one fish shallower um different yep. types of lures um if you can because obviously your speeds matter when you're trolling with bib sizes but yeah like i said yep. you could apply you could work that out yourself um if you just took notice of the scenario and that was the difference between zero fish and like, would you say a few guys got on to up to seven trolling, just yeah, chasing yeah. those yeah. higher fish? Yep, that's it. Mm. Just, yeah, nice and simple. Um, but yeah, just they were just fishing just a little bit higher. So and, that made all the difference. And following on, just to touch on yep. another example uh, from your Yukonbean situation, I went to Lake Hume. Um, was a really good day, epic day on the water. We got 11 yellows. We fished for over 12 hours. Uh, there was a period there where we didn't have a fish for four hours and then we had a good bite window in the afternoon. So personally, I had an amazing day. We did have to work hard yeah. though. There wasn't much downtime. I don't feel like I sat down and ate much. So it was it was pretty go mm -hmm. the whole time. And if you talk to Alex, it was yeah. the first time he'd done that style of fishing. And at the end of the day, yeah. he goes, that was still tough. Like we worked because if I had said we caught 11 yellows, you'd be like, wow, amazing, yeah, which it was. Absolutely. But it's all yeah. about uh, perception. And if you if you look at how hard we worked, it was actually had to – not only did we get the 11, but we had to be right on the money with them and they were very, very picky. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we caught fish and they were doing – they were fishing and sitting quite high in the trees and we have a full detailed trip report in the membership on how they were behaving. 
And yep. that we got that 80 odd mil or 40 to 80 mil, depending on where you are, uh, that weekend, that following week, that Sunday, I think. And yeah. stacks of water flow come into the Hume, masses amount of water went into the Hume. Um, and Karen went on Friday for a session down there. So five or six days after this rain, after a bit of a cold snap, and they were the yellows were in a completely different location. They were gone from where they were. So yeah, well. to me, she called me and said that, and I was to me that intrigued me a lot, and I actually wanted to get in the car right then and there to head down for a day, not yeah. not to catch heaps of fish because it's obviously not what's happening, but I wanted to find yeah. them because if I was able to find them, the lesson in that would be incredible to know what those fish have done during that little window of inflow. Did they yeah. follow the flow? Did they go sit and hug the bottom? Did they all scatter? Where did they all yeah. go? So that I could learn that lesson for the future. Yeah, definitely. That would have, yeah, be an amazing um, bit of knowledge for sure. To um, yeah, to be able to take that information. And I mean, it doesn't happen all that often, really, does it? We have big dams with massive flows through them, but when it reoccurs again in a few years' time, um, that information would be absolutely. Yeah, because it was such a, a contrast. We would have seen three hundred yellows on on That's the live crazy. tech for the for the twelve hours, yeah. and yeah. Karen said she saw lucky to see five or ten. So yeah, they've well. gone and they've it's a consistent thing throughout the group of fish. They've all decided to do something. So I would love to know what that decision is because you could even apply that to other scenarios. Um, I just would have loved to have known what they all did. Yeah. Did they decide to follow the flow and head up the flow and all chase the flow because it's that springtime, spawning time? Did they decide yeah. to drop to a thermocline and scatter because the water was yeah. cold? Not sure, but what I yeah. do know is I think they've started to return to where they were. Um, I've heard okay. that they've sort of starting to return with that warmer water coming through. So those tips and everything we explained in that trip report is still very relevant and will be for all of summer on what we did and how we caught them. But yeah. these lessons and being able to be adaptable um, as conditions change, yeah, just understanding the fish just goes a long way, I think. Yeah, it's huge. So that's what I mean, like... It was a disappointing session for Karen because they weren't there. They did get a, a yes. yellow or two, a stack of redfin. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for me personally, if I was there following up a, a good trip, I would have found that more valuable to try and figure out where they were. I would have, not everyone has that opportunity in time, but I would have burnt the whole day going, okay, yeah. where's the lesson? Yeah. I want to find the lesson in this because that's going to catch me a lot more fish down the track. Yeah. And yeah. also members as what? well. What would your guess be if you had to guess? Well, I don't know. They they she said she saw a few just scattered here and there floating around. Um, there was a lot yep. of floating debris uh, on the lake um, that yep. came in. So it must have been a fair chunk of water that come through. Uh, the water yep. temperatures were actually warmer than when I was there. So the water temps okay. were about 19 when I was there. And Karen said they started at 18 or 19 and got to 25 in the afternoon because it was a cracker day last Friday. Beautiful right. day. It was 26 degrees. Um, yeah, okay. But the temperatures probably weren't that warm the previous few days. So, yep. they obviously cooled down a bit. Don't know where they disappeared to. I had another member say they weren't there and the water temps were 17 or something. Um, okay. So, I don't know. I don't know if they've dropped to the bottom and they're just hugging the yep. bottom towards sort of a thermocline possibly or they've yep. all pushed in really, really shallow but just scattered and because Lake Hume is mm. such a massive dam... 300, 400 fish could easily scatter um, 
and because there's so much bank line, they could easily scatter and not look like there's many fish at all. Or they've all yeah. gone up the river. As to what they've done, I'm not sure. Could have been any of those three. Um, yeah. It's all assumptions, really. I really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just interested to hear what your thoughts were. To yeah, as what they might have done, but yeah, I suspect that they probably would have just sort of pushed along the bottom in in the vicinity. Yeah. Rather than travelling too far, because you know, if they were gonna push up the river, sort of thing, I'd sort of suggest they might have already been up there. congregating up there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's sort of one of those circumstances where it is a proper shutdown bite where they've just decided, you know what, we're just going to sulk along the bottom in, you know, three, four, five, six metres of water, whatever it might have been, and they can be really, really hard to spot once they get down and they're not really moving around a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you can basically be virtually on top of them without even knowing about it. So um, it, particularly when you say, you know, there's there's sort of signs that they're starting to return to where you guys had found them, um, you know, they can't have been too far away. For those few days, they've just sort of hit the bottom and sulked a bit, and you know the, the water temps you know, sort of coming up. It's better conditions there. Possibly just going to move back up to where they were and, and get on with it at some stage. Yeah, which I think they will. And Hume will definitely be a place to fish all summer, all through autumn, I believe, for the yellows. Um, yeah, it'll I'll be fit. Doing a trip down there. Yeah, we're meant to go tomorrow or the day after. Um, but hopefully we go next week again for a trip. I'm actually, for those who are yeah. members and those listening, I'm looking to start mapping Hume. Ideally, I like to map the lakes when they're low, but I'm going to do the access points. So I'm going to build a, a, a temporary map, like a pre-launch map um, with all the access yeah. points and then just a few pins on the lake for spots that are coming and some of the key spots we've been fishing. But that trip report, if you're looking to fish Hume next week, week after, all summer, all through till next autumn, Highly recommend checking out that trip report um, if you're a member that's inside the membership um, and we'll be doing trips there too. And we obviously have our Lake Hume monthly regular report written by James Harris. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a bit of what we've been up to this spring. And one thing I did want to talk about was, yeah, fish behavior. But let's just touch on uh, for a second Golden Perch uh, specifically yeah. as, a, as a late spring and summer techniques for chasing them because we talk a fair bit about uh, early spring and early spring is all about that lead up it's all about that trending weather fishing is usually a lot slower Um, for me it's more active and addictive Um, not active but more visual up shallow Um, yeah definitely very close quarter sort of stuff not close quarter but yeah very shallow stuff Uh, very short but aggressive bite windows if you can time it right but also a lot of fishing through not good bite time like you gotta you gotta do a lot of dead time to find those bite times then come yeah. mid to late spring you usually get consistent uh conditions there's usually a really good bite before they spawn and then yep. it's like a consistent from normally all of november once they've spawned this year they've kind of only just spawned now in most places um yeah through a, like a consistent november it's it's a very very consistent bite, rocky edges, points, clay edges, fishing for anywhere from three to seven meters, three to six meters. Um, they start to push deeper. And then usually by about now, by cod opening, I've done some sessions over December at Blaring and they're usually all just scattered and stacked in that seven or eight meter mark. Um, and I've yeah, trolled, to push out. trolled yeah. a few up quite deep. Yeah, but uh, this year they probably won't even get that deep in most lakes, I think. Currently, at the minute, they're still sitting in three to five, six meters, depending on the lake you're looking at. Um, yeah. Lake yep. Hume, even shallower. Windermere, they're probably still shallow. Blaring, they're yep. definitely not all that deep. Burrenjuck, you said they're still shallow. Definitely. Yeah, they're up on the edges in some places of the chuck as well. So, yeah. 
um, you know, it's, it's not unusual on a warm spring to find them up there in September where we're only just starting to see them up there now at the end of November. So, um, yeah, it's a funny old season, this one, that's for sure. So let's say normal season. We'll talk about this season. Um, yeah. But for those listening, we actually do live Q&As. You usually jump on from a fair bit of them, Dan. Um, yep. And this is kind of the conversation we have between you, myself, Karen, the guests that we got on, all our contributors. We kind of have these discussions, but more relevant to what's happening now. Plus yep. our weekly prediction, we, we talk about the current conditions, what you should be doing, what's going on. But right now, I just want to chat about a standard late spring, right through summer, yellow behavior, how we chase them, how you would normally target them. Um, and you can use yep. Burrenjuk as your reference. Uh, it's a lake. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a, a lake they concentrate on trees. But what's that usual? They spawn. Um, they can be tough to catch in some lakes when they spawn. In others, you can sometimes get them to bite yep. like crazy. But from my experience, they usually pre-spawn feed really well. Um, yep. Pre-spawn can happen anywhere from mid-October to mid to late November. Like really yep. varies. Usually that yep. early November period. Then after that, yeah. what do you find they do? They just kind of still sort of group up but just sort of spread and it's just like a consistent bite, isn't it? A Quite an active, consistent bite right through. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so yeah, so your middle spring period, you can catch fish quite often, you know, on the right day, right through the day where I find as you move into uh, late spring, you really, really need to concentrate on your early morning and late afternoon. Um, just because they become more active during those times, obviously, you know, we generally will be having quite warm weather um, by this end of spring. Water temps at the surface are starting to get quite warm, and so generally they're pushing down deeper during the day, and then they'll move up closer onto an edge. Why do you keep saying generally? <laughs> because <laughs> it's uh, because this is nowhere near a normal season. It's really hard to try and. And it's, it's not the first one. This is the second spring in a row where it's been like this. Yeah. Um, where all the rules have just been thrown out the window. I come across a spawning school in Burrenjuk in January this year, um, you know, where I was catching fish that were all rubbed up and, you know, um, males that are just going crazy sort of thing. So, yeah. um, we you know, we've kind of had to put the rule book um, out of the way last couple of years it's not even say that the whole thing's shifted either you can't say right well now is like mid-october you can't even shift it because it gets to 30 near, we've had near 28 degrees and then it's back to four overnight like yeah it, it's yeah. it's not like the whole lot's shifted and i thought it was actually gonna we were out of the cold three weeks ago i thought that was the last cold snap but in the high 20s yeah. it'll just push its way through but it's it's ridiculously it's it's a yo-yo season yeah. Which, like we yeah. said, in some lights has helped us pick when those bite windows are. Um, yeah. And I don't even know what the go is with their spawning, but it, there's still Look, advantages of it. But yeah, this is definitely not normal. No, that's right. And I mean, there, there is signs from the weekend. Um, when I fished with the boys, we fished just, you know, a very casual sort of day. We didn't get up there until 10.30. Um, we're off the water by 5 o'clock. We caught eight fish and all males... And 95% of them had some sort of rubbing starting to sort of come up on the side of their face. Yeah. So seven out of those eight fish were definitely showing signs of sort of spawning activity. Yeah. Um, which we haven't 
I haven't seen that up till now um, in any sort of great consistency. So they are starting to um, congregate and think about, you know, spawning activity at the minute. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting if, I, I guess, they're sort of cocked and waiting to go. You know, if, they, if we do get a, an actual warm patch where they will actually spawn um, and then, you know, settle back into that more late spring summer feeding pattern um, that we would expect. Um, I suspect that it's not going to happen that way. I don't see water temps pushing them down um, this side of almost the new year, to be honest. Like, I think even right through December, um, the water temps are still going to be a little bit lower and we're going to see them still you know, potentially a little bit higher up in the water column, especially, you know, in those sort of early morning and, and late afternoons, you know, it, it'll be fish pushing up in still up into four metres of water yeah. to, to feed. So, so what's a normal, uh, going back to you generally, what's a normal look at yeah, so how yellows feed normally, through that November into summer? N- normally, um, late spring and into summer, you're targeting fish, out in that sort of, I'd sort of say, you know, late spring, you're looking at four to six metres of water. And then obviously as it pushes on, you're sort of looking seven to five, maybe even out to eight metres um, during, you know. Summer. Late de- late December. And as you move into January, then you really start to get fish that will push, you know, really, really deep. Um, you know, anything up to 10 or 12 metres down on, on a standing tree or something like that. Um but I mean, if you can, you know, if we, if we take Barrenjack and the tree situation out of the equation, it's generally that, what, four to six metres, like I said, it can be a little bit sort of deeper, um, is where, they, where they're going to be found to be feeding more often than not. On so a rocky sort of, edge? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to move from your flatter sort of banks that you fish in early spring and say somewhere so like Windermere or something like that, you're going to fish up shallow flatter banks when late summer, now through into summer, you're going to be looking at um, a rockier, you know, like a 45 degree sloping sort of bank where they can get that depth um, a lot easier and the water's probably even, you know, they start to look for a little bit cooler water um, as, as, it, as temperatures start to rise beyond their most comfortable sort of um, limit. So... Yeah, you're generally looking to fish a a bank with a you know a higher gradient in, so you know five to seven meters of water. Yeah, it's I've got a really good summary for everyone listening. Um, every dam's different, but one that is a very good consistent sort of a role is at Windermere is a great example. So, like Dan said, very late winter but more early spring. So September, mid October, you're fishing shallow. You start in that meter, two meters. Three meters at most. Come mid October, you're fishing yeah. four meters. You're fishing your shallow bays. Um, you can fish your steeper, rocky stuff, but they'll be right up in the edge where you can almost sight fish them at a place like Windermere. They'll be your shallow bays, your grassy edges, um, up in your spindly trees, right up in shallow. Then as October transitions, they start to move out a little bit deeper. You might be looking three to four meters, but similar areas. Come November, early November, that's when you start, or late October, early November, you start to look at your 45 degree, slightly steeper rocky edges. They'll start to group up better on those banks, on the points. And then through late November, definitely there, but you're looking at fishing that five to seven meters. So they they start to push down that edge because they can move up and down easily um, 
on a hot day, they can drop deeper, and if they they want to, they can come up shallower. But you're looking at your steeper rocky edges. Then in December, they'll stay on those edges and push even deeper, but there's a transition point, and I'm keen for you to jump in and tell me exactly when because you've had more experience yep. with the whole tree situation. But there's a mm-hmm. there's a there's around Christmas time possibly, but anywhere through mid-December to early January, majority of the fish will transition to trees, and Windermere is the perfect yep. example. They'll transition yep. to the trees. They'll find their way. You'll notice that they will disappear off the rocky edges in their numbers. They'll still be there, but in their numbers, they'll leave those edges and they'll group up on the trees where they comfortably can move up and down in the water column. Really good source of bait and food as well as cover where they will stay right through till that March period um, until we start to get the cooler nights of late March, early, early April where they will then yep. move back. They will actually stay on the trees um, right through into winter, but some fish will transition back to an edge. But Yeah, you do get a bit of an, uh, an autumn edge bite. Yeah. yeah, so there's a bit of an edge bite, but nowhere near as good as spring because some fish yep. will stay on the trees and they'll actually stay on the trees for a fair chunk of winter until they want to move off because they can just come right to the surface on the trees and get sunlight, yep. which is probably a reason why spring is a better edge bite because a lot of them do end up on the edge. Would you yeah, exactly. have any contradiction to that, or does that sound no, that's, about right? That's, yeah, no, that's pretty much how it is, and, and I believe that it is. Um, I mean, obviously, through spring, the whole ecosystem is firing up on the edges because that's where the water warms. Yep. Um, so right from your smallest little critters that are being fed on by bigger critters, and so the whole food chain goes along. Um, once that water reaches a certain temperature where all that slows down again the fish have no reason to be on the edge anymore there's actually a better food source and cover on a standing tree yeah and also it's more comfortable easier for them to be able to go you know what i want to sit two meters today because it was cold for three days and i want a bit of sun so i'm going to move up my tree and sit in two meters today yeah you know it's it's then hot for a week that's easy i can just move down and i'll sit in six meters and i'll sit in eight meters and you know, I can move up and down, I can feed, I can have shelter. Um, all those sort of things are all provided by those big old river gums that have all been submerged and, um, you know, they hold shrimp. They've got, you know, snot weed growing off them and all that sort of thing. So they stay on those trees, like you say. Some will move back out when that water cools again, starts to get into that nice range on the edge. Some of those fish will migrate up onto the edge to feed, but... I don't know if it would be 50-50, but a fair chunk of them will stay um, on on the trees right through winter time. They then chase a thermocline in winter where they're looking for that slightly warmer water. Um, and you'll find them, you know, if you find them on one tree at seven in seven metres, you'll find them in just about every tree sitting at about that seven metre mark because it's just that little bit of a warmer pocket of water for them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, we move back out to uh, to the spring all over again. So uh, that's pretty much how, how it all flows from... And, and it is pretty much across most dams that I know of, um, is that's pretty much how it happens. At some stage, whether it is the best edge bite through spring, at some point they will move... Most of them will move onto the standing trees. Again, some you can get them in January up on an edge if you're fishing, you know, first light in the morning. Yeah, um, you know you'll get a few fish that will have moved up and, and fed there, but yeah, the most consistent amount of numbers is going to be back out on your timber where they're 
you know, where they can move up and down easily and, and do their thing. So that's, yeah, pretty much sums it up, mate. You pretty much nailed that. Yeah, perfect summary. And personally, I prefer uh, spring because the yellows survive and I, I really, we all care about the fish and I don't want to see them floating and I really don't like catching them when they don't want to go back down. So I yeah. love chasing yellows in spring. Um, I've caught a couple yeah. out of blaring in the middle of summer, but I usually then go to chase river cod, river yellows where they yeah. got no problem being released. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's it's good and we might create some content on needling but also release weighting fish. Um, you yeah. just could be majorly quick to get them back down yeah. with a release weight. Um because it can still damage them. Yeah, catching yellows in summertime, it's like a frantic thing. If you're catching release fishing for yellows in summer, it's like you don't really get to enjoy much time with that fish at all. No. Um, it's basically, I mean, I do um, vent or needle um, majority of my fish in summertime. If, if I'm going to spend any amount of time at all with that fish at the surface, they will get vented straight away. Mm-hmm. Um but generally, I like to just go, yeah, wow, cool. Well, uh, get him straight back in the drink and spear him straight back down again. Um, yeah. it, it's too hot. They've got barometric, barotrauma issues, the whole thing. So it really does have to be a really quick um, process to get them back down to you know, whatever depth of water. It could be 10 metres of water. And really, if you're pulling a fish out of 10 metres of water, uh, yeah, they really don't have um, a fantastic survival rate no matter how quick you are sometimes, yeah. um, you know, you can bring them to the surface and their eyes are bulging out of their head. That fish is cooked. You may as well put him in the esky and take his fillets off for a feed, I think. Yeah, especially when they're like 55 plus, like those 60 centimetre fish struggle at the best of times. Um, yeah. We've caught them out of three metres and after a big long fight, if if you have them out for any more than 30 seconds, 45 seconds for a photo, they sort of aren't happy. So if you go catching a yeah. 60 I caught a 60 in seven and a half meters at blaring, um, had him up, took a photo, but that water temp, you know, it's pushing 27 degrees and down, down there where he is, it's probably 17 or 18, probably 17. Um, so massive shock to the system and yeah, had to, had to drop, drop him back down with a release weight, which luckily I had sitting there ready to go, but still a chance he might not have lasted, um, just yeah. from the because yeah. the pressure in that the swim bladder just expands and can actually bruise and damage other organs in their gut, which is yeah, why you right. vent them straight away so that pressure isn't on their stomach and heart and the rest of it for too long. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just be careful with the fish you catch. The same same comes with the cod. I don't really chase anything deeper than eight meters over summer. Cod are much tougher fish than yellows um so cod even in the yeah, summer as far as and that goes, yeah, yeah they will they will float like they will have that air and they can't get back down but in summer cod are a much more fit fish than they are in winter cod themselves so if you were yeah. to catch a cod i caught one out of nine meters in the middle of winter Accident, yeah. not accidentally, but he raced up for this was pre live tech this was way back it was a big log in nine meters as we we sort of cast it over this edge and I decided to lob one out towards it. Never let the lure yeah. get anywhere near the log, about seven metres down. And this fish raced up, ate it in about three and then obviously pulled him to the top. It was about 80 centimetres fit as, but he just yeah. had too yeah. much air because of the quick transition. Because I've seen them yeah. swim from 10 to 2, back to 10 and back to 2 all the time yeah. and they have yeah. no problem handling it. But obviously, this was a bit too much and he just couldn't get back down. But because they're so 
doughy in the winter. They're real lethargic. They have nowhere near as much energy. He just didn't have the energy to get back down. So drop the release yeah. weight on straight. He was no no problems once he was back to that depth yeah. because the pressure automatically compresses the swim bladder. In the summer, yes. they're much tougher fish. So they've yeah. their metabolism heaps higher. So if you can just get them back down, you bring them up, take a photo, get them back down. Eight meters isn't too bad of a depth, especially yeah. for a smaller fish under a meter. Your meter twenties, yeah. they're the, the older ones that are more likely to succumb to something. So I really seven eight meters is my limit um, in the summertime for yeah. cod. Um, so if yeah. I'm trolling, I do a bit of trolling with. A uh, bit of trolling uh, to mix up the techniques over the summer period, early summer. January January is a funny time. I sort of go to other species, bit of trout stuff, bit of river stuff for cod. And you just got to be careful because we really do have to look after our fish species. Um, so, yeah, just just note that they will suffer a little bit from uh, slightly deeper water. But anyway, running back to yellows in the summer, you do a bit of – you do chase them in the summer, but you just avoid fishing so deep like you'll happily chase them in six or seven if they're sitting in that depth yeah definitely yeah yep i'm a yellow theme mate i'll catch yellows all year round um right through winter so even when the big cod shows on um yeah i catch them all the year through i really love those yeah chasing them sort of thing um and so i will yeah i definitely do chase them through summer and i generally find that if it's uncomfortable for me it's uncomfortable for the fish as well. So when you, you know, if, you know, I don't know, it'll take some sort of miracle for us to get up into the 40s this year by the feel of it at the moment. But if if you are and that, you know, it's that stinking hot, I'm generally not going to be on the water anyway at the time that the fish are going to be pushing down to their deepest. Yeah. So, I, you know, I really concentrate on, like a morning session for me in January, February is I'm on the water at daybreak and I'm finished by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning if I extend it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I know that the fish are at their most active during that time of the day. I know it's the most comfortable for me, less sunburn and all the rest of it. And then I'll head back for a shady tree and, you know, I'll do some tackle, tackle prep. I'll have a feed. I'll have a kip. I'll, you know, the kids will chase carp or something like that um, before we get back out to our you know, afternoon sessions, which usually start at about five o'clock. So, you know, you're generally avoiding the time when those fish are going to be down at the deepest point during the day. Yeah. Um, and if I go out there and chase them and find, you know, they're all sitting 10 or 12 metres down, just like the cod, it's like, forget about it. I just won't chase them there. Like, it, yeah, it's not as enjoyable to do it um, that way to fish either species that way. So, yeah, I generally just, if I can't find them shallow, well, I just don't find them. Simple as that. So, what's the technique um, come summer? Will you find yourself fishing between rocky banks? And the reason I said use Windermere as an example before was because it has good rocks, good trees, plenty of fish. Yep. You said yep. Burrenjuk's very similar. Uh, Eildon is also very similar. But there are times yep. when some lakes that have trees, they're completely under. There's other lakes that don't have trees. There's other lakes that have masses of trees where they sit on the trees year round. So Hume yep. is an example where the trees probably are a place they will even be in early spring. Yes, there will be an edge bite as well, but they don't all go to the edge. Blaring is the yep. opposite of that where there are no trees. So it's rocky banks yep. year round. Um, yep. So what do you do in December? Do you fish a bit of both? Do you work out if they're on trees or rocks? And then through till mid-January, it's pretty much all schools of fish sitting on standing trees as, as the go-to technique. Yeah, yep, definitely. So December, it's 
you know, get out in the water in the dark, get there before the sun comes up and fish an edge. Um, you know, you'll generally find if it's all, all the other things are aligning, if it's good weather, the barometer's good, um, fish will push up onto the edge most mornings for a feed. Um, by Sometimes by even 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm already transitioning out to fish some deeper water on some standing timber because the fish that were up feeding in that four to six metre range up shallow are no longer feeding up there anymore because the light's penetrating, it's pushing them down. But I know that if I go out to the trees, I can you know, fish vertically. I mean, you can even cast to your trees if you like, um, but those fish will still be sort of hanging in that sort of four to six metre range um, and be happy to, you know, if, if something swims by, if there's an opportunity, they will still feed out there. So it's sort of a, you know, I extend my sessions from, yes, yeah, soft fish and edge early and then move out into those standing timbers between, say, 8 and 10 or 8 and 11 o'clock. And, you know, that's sort of the, the, the end of the session. But um, it's definitely a mix-up between the two. Some mornings they won't show up on the edge at all. Um, if you're looking for the most consistent sort of bite, I would suggest um, the standing timber is going to be where you're going to find them more consistently. Yep. Um, but again, you know, that the whole casting and edge thing is, is a hell of a lot more fun um, and different way of doing it. And, you know, if you are able to mix up both techniques during a session, I mean, that's, yeah, that's really, really good. It's, it's going to be a good session if you can catch them off a rocky edge first thing in the morning, move out and put a couple more in your tally by fishing vertically or whatever it might be out in the standing timber. That's well, that's a cracking session as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and for those listening, these fish aren't necessarily on the edge and then swimming straight out to the tree that then you chase. They're actually, some fish will be on the edge and they'll stay on the yep. edge and they'll just move down deeper yep. and sulk and the fish on the trees that's will right. be on the trees. You're fishing for different fish, but... Yes. Picking the prime bites for both or for either so that you, you make the most of both worlds kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you can go out at, you know, five or six in the morning and catch them on a standing tree. Yes. That's that. what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're potentially going to be a little bit higher on that tree during that period. Um, but I just, I just find it more funny if I can, even though, you know, Burrenjuck is a tree dam, as we call it. Um, if I can find them off a rocky point or something um, first thing in the morning, that's where I'm going to go and then I'll move it into the trees later on and have a look yep. at those fish. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. And the other thing for late, another rule or another uh, thing to understand for late spring and summer when we're chasing yellow, so we're including late spring, which is kind of like now, um, yep. is your lure sort of changes a little bit. One thing to note is soft plastics are a lure that can be fished extremely subtle, but they can also be extremely aggressive. So you can use them right the way through. But this is the time when our deeper diving hard bodies, especially for trolling, our rattling yep. lipless crankbaits rather than our silent ones really come into their own. Yep. Um, a soft vibe yep. fish really aggressively. Uh, yeah. they're kind of, even a blade as well, fished aggressively, they're kind of the yeah. lures that we're, we're looking at for later in November because these fish have spawned, they're happy, the water temp is their most optimum for the entire year. It's that lead yeah. out of winter into summer. That's their favorite side of uh, the, the warm weather. So you've obviously got autumn as well, but it's their perfect, most favorite side of the seasons uh, being spring leading into summer. They're aggressive, they're happy. You're trying to hone in a fish that's hungry and that's where your noisy or your your lures that vibrate really aggressively will bring a fish in from a distance that's hungry. 
Um, yeah. So you'll use exactly. a mixture of those lures. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of look forward to nowadays being able to throw a rattling lure, like something really noisy, because it's something that quite often, you know, through all the early parts of spring, is not really going to work that well. And you know, I've still got memories of when they were the you know the, the latest and greatest, and you know, you go and you know, I remember telling you the story about you'd, you'd be fishing um, at windy in the shallower sort of banks, and you could hear as you lifted your TN60 off the bottom, you could hear it making that consistent rattle. You could actually hear it knock as it hits the bottom, and you could actually hear the, the sound of a fish as it sucks it in off the bottom and shakes its head. <laughs> through the and bottom of really the aluminium boat. Yes, you could hear it through through the boat. And uh, that's a really fond memory for me. So I do look forward to every sort of spring, that late springtime where I can um, throw a TN60. Or, you know, there's a whole massive variety of um, rattling lipless crankbaits out there. So don't get stuck just on jackals because there are some really, really good um, other brands out there. Yep. Um, and, yeah, get them things rattling and just call in those fish that are actively aggressively feeding rather than trying to subtly shake a plastic or something across a fish's nose it's more about just covering water you know just consistently moving along a bank and um, just peppering the bank and just you know wait waiting for that tick as they drop or you know the next lift or something that you've got weight and, and you're away but um, yeah that's um, it's it's definitely something that every year I'll, I'll have a crack with um, I'd didn't throw any on the weekend. We fished vertical at Barrenjuk, but I do know um, a couple of the fellas that were up there at Barrenjuk on the weekend um, casting TN60s to the edges, mm-hmm. and um, and you know they managed to get a couple of fish, and they were happy because that's the way that they had chosen to do it. They could have caught more fish if they wanted to fish vertically, but they chose to go and um, target the edges, and were happy to catch a couple of fish. And you know who wouldn't be there? It's a really fun way to do it. So. Yeah, it's 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 happening now, basically. Yeah, it's a really good point you made there. Sort of not related to the tip part of it, but to, if you pick a technique, it's not about catching ten versus two. It's about catching them no. or enjoying the technique that you want to go do. So yes, I know we went to human caught them in the trees. I much prefer to fish an edge, but on that day, my goal was to fish the trees, try and catch some big ones. Yep. We could have gone and yep. fished the edge and caught two or three and had just as much fun. So just remember that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, fishing is not about comparing yourself to others. It's about enjoying your no. sessions. Look. A really, really good point, a really important point. Um, and I am going to expand on that a little bit because it's um, there is so much, um, I'm going to call it a pissing contest between freshwater fishermen out there, um, people sniping at other people and all this other social media rubbish that goes on. Just go out and enjoy your fishing. You, you're not competing with the social media world out there. You're just going out there to have fun. You're going out there and enjoy yourself. You do not have to catch a fish to have a good day. You don't have to catch 10 or whatever it might be. But if you just stick to your own goal, go out and have a good day for your own reason, not for someone else's critique. Yeah, perfect. That's probably the most important thing in the whole episode, even though we're talking about catching fish. Just remember that. Yeah, look, I... Yeah, it's just it's something that irks me a little bit, and I guess I come from I'm a little bit older, so I don't really it doesn't really worry me too much. I'm happy to go if I catch one fish one way, that's fine. I'm happy to do that if I catch ten fish another way, whatever it might be. 
I don't really care what the rest of the world thinks. Yes, I post on socials and all that sort of thing, create content, but really it's all based on, you know, just showing and helping people and all that sort of thing. I don't ever do it to go, oh, you know, look at me, I'm amazing. I've caught 10 fish today and that's not really the purpose of it for me. I'd rather say I caught 10 fish, I caught them this way. Yeah. Or, you know, this is to maybe show people a different avenue and, I mean, that's the whole social fishing membership that we're um, building is, I mean, that's the epitome of that for me. That's the, um, for my side of fishing, that's where it's at. The creation of content to help people catch fish rather than creation of content to show how good you are. Above somebody else, yeah, because that's just, that's not right. And it happens and people get caught in that trap. You see arguments blow up on Facebook and it, yeah, you just don't need to get involved in it. Just fish and have fun doing it. Good stuff. Just one thing, very important thing to remember. Uh, so moving on, one thing I want to touch on is I remember sessions of Burrenjack. I'm going back to that era that you know I'm talking about where it was really, really good. And the, I'm talking about the yellows. You know, we talked about that morning bite on the edge and then the, the, the timber bite. Trolling is a highly successful technique on yellows. And I remember having sessions catching stacks, not big yellows, but stacks of yellows in that last hour and a half of light. As soon as that sun yeah. dips, you've, especially at Burrenjack where you've got massive big steep hills, you probably get like an hour and a half before dark of shade. And the yellows would yep. group up, not necessarily right on the rocks, but in the rocks, just off the rocks, in numbers, um, and, and yep. you just troll them up on hard bodies, no problem. Stacks yep. of them, rocky points. Yep. This is something you can do at Eildon, um, Wyangler as well. Plenty of smaller fish there that do that. So that's another technique. Just remember, you got like, like Dan explained earlier, you've got that bite window in the morning, bite window in the afternoon. Yep. So when you head back out in the yep. afternoon... You may have a plan of chasing yellows, um, sorry, caught in the dark, but there's that. We yep. were catching tiny yellows like up to 30 centimeters on 150 120 mil acs trolling for cod yeah yeah we'd catch yeah. four or five or six of them in half an hour yeah. an hour before dark smacking yeah. you'd feel them whacking that lure flat out and if we had to yeah. use little 60 70 mil hard bodies you would have caught 20 30 fish for an hour and a half yeah, session yeah you'd be trolling along and your lure would just stop swimming yeah like oh you know i've picked up a something off the bottom or whatever and you wind it in and there's this little yellow hanging off the back of your whatever it might have been yeah um yeah it's it, um i don't know it seems like a bit of a distant memory at the moment to have those sort of sessions but um it's that yeah it was good the, you could almost set your clock by it you go radio i know that that hill over there is going to be shade in the water now we'll go and troll along that point and yeah they'd be they'd be there lining up and it would be right that sort of I'd probably say the last two hours of daylight, um, you know, you'd sit out in four to six metres of water and, and troll along and, yeah, you could pick up some really, really good numbers of fish. So that's something to remember for that December, January period um, in many yep. lakes is that, so they'll they'll feed quite well in the morning, as you said, on the edge. Uh, then your trees yep. are a pick, even right till dark, your trees will be good. But just remember, especially your smaller fish that aren't as smart, that do school up, you'll, you'll find that through the summer periods, you'll get groups of smaller fish. Um, you'll yep. find that definitely at yield, like we're talking fish up to that 45 centimeter size, not as intelligent, um, still learning how to be a fish. Yep. They'll school up, they'll yep. group up, they'll smack all sorts of different things that come through. When that water temp's bang on and there's usually sitting about that six meter mark um 
Um, so that's something to remember as a technique for chasing summer yellows and even fishing in the dark, blaring being no trees, uh, it was known previously, probably a decade ago, as a place that you only fish in the dark, but not just for cod. I grew up uh, knowing a lot of local anglers, uh, and I did it myself as well, who would go up for night sessions on the yellows and would catch, you know, five to ten really good quality yellows and some big, big ones. That's how you used to catch the big ones. Trolling the rocky edges in about that six or seven meters, five to seven meters um, over any time through summer uh, because in the dark, they'd sort of slowly cruise in slightly shallower uh, as that sun had dipped finding food, looking for yabbies, all sorts of creatures out in the dark and, and it's quite a, a good style fishing. It still is down to today. Um, yeah. It's just we all love chasing It's really popular during the, during the full moon and stuff too, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. another technique for summer. So you've got your rocky edges and your timber, bit of 50-50 um, and then yep. probably later on in summer when it really gets hot, you're talking your mid-January, yeah, January through to February, somewhere around New Year, they'll yep. transition to the trees or the trees will become more active, but you still will have a split of fish on both the rocky yep. edges and the trees. Trolling hard bodies. Yep. So I'm talking uh, 70 mil AC invaders. I love the 50 mil slim invader. You'd troll. Yep. What's a couple of lures you've been trolling of late with the boys if you were to go out and do it? Um, yep. So we troll a lot of stuckies. Yep. Lures, which are, you know, a lure that dives to about five meters if you give them enough lead. Yep. Um, Use that Zeric Tango Shad. Yeah, the Tango Show was really good to us last spring, actually. Yeah, it was the sort of lure that, um, you know, I remember being on a session with the boys, and I don't sort of troll a lot, but the, the kids quite enjoy it. And we were trolling all the usual suspects around, and I thought, oh, you know, I've got this Tango Show that I'd bought recently in the packet. I undone it, tied it on, and, you know, caught a fish on it straight away. And I think we caught three or four in that session, all on that lure, where all the others hadn't um, caught any fish, but... Um, yeah, well, so what do you is, think, yeah, 60, 50 to 80 mil? 80 mil if it's a narrow one rather than a big fat one, but like a narrow sort of body, Yeah, 80 mil? Yeah, can be a little bit, yeah, can be a little bit deceiving with what some lure brands call an 80 or yeah. you know, a 50 or things like that. But yeah, as a general rule, 50 to 80 mils, um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, orgy plows in the 75 mil once upon a time were, um, you know, a very consistent lure for catching your smaller cod and your yellow belly on exactly the same bank. Yeah. Um, I remember one session with my dad, you know, quite a few years ago now, it was that sort of last hour and we were, you know, we were knocking into fish every, you know, five or ten minutes for an hour and it was, you know, yellow cod, yellow, yellow cod and it was just, you know, and that is sort of back in that prime time of Burrenjuk when the water was lower and clear and, you know, the seasons were a bit more consistent. So that's, yeah. you know, they're still a good option. They will still work. Um, Viking talismans, another one, they get down really deep. Um, yeah, I don't know. You go on, like the strike force lures. Yeah. Um, they make some good yellow belly size lures now as well. So there's stacks of our bodies. There's miles of options out there. Just yeah. mix it up, I would say. Have one that's a quite a deeper bib like one of the ACs. Yeah. Like have a deeper yep. diver and then have one that sits a bit shallower or maybe has a tighter action kind of like those, like that yep. tank, like more of a, a narrower profile hard body. Yes. Uh, 
not usually not usually handmade timber ones or handmade ones because they're the ones that are made specifically for cotton yellows are usually deeper diver and wider like your orgies and your yep. acs so have something yep. like that or a strike force and then have one of your other ones they're more um commercial made lures uh they're usually yep. tighter they're kind of a universal for catching everything around the world but have one that sits a bit yep. higher one that sits a bit deeper and mix it up that's that whole mix it up thing um yeah yeah. yeah, cool. I think, um, you know, when you are going to choose a lure, maybe don't concentrate so much on colour, but concentrate more on uh, differing the actions between your lures, between one that is does vibrate really tight and one that, you know, wobbles a little bit wider. Because I think sometimes it's the actual, you know, vibration that the lure puts through the water rather than the colour that, that actually attracts them to, the, to bite. So Especially don't so, in summer. Yeah, don't get so caught up on colour so much. Um, yeah, yeah, change change the action of the lure rather than the colour. I think. Yeah, and then here comes a question which we talked about in one of our Q and A's was: uh, Is colour important on early spring with a grub, mate? Can I give you a, a green grub, or is what's the game <laughs> when it comes to colours? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did come up recently, and my my answer was any colour as long as it's black. <laughs> Yes, isn't it funny? Different uh, scenarios. If you go to troll in the summer with a hard body, colour's not as important. But if we're fishing when the fish aren't quite switched on in September, October, even yeah. November, and you're chucking a soft plastic, it's kind of like, oh, I'd yeah. prefer to go something dark like a black. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they're all the and things. I mean, yeah. Well, I guess the darker colour, as a general rule, a darker coloured hard body in the trolling situation is going to be my starting point rather than going a bright yellow or go a purple or a deep red or even a black. Yep. So, mm. yeah. Um, and these are things we're only sort of scratching the surface of it, but we discuss in depth yeah. all of this stuff in videos, in yeah. articles and in our Q&As and all sorts of content in the membership. So if you guys listen to the podcast, this is your first time here. First of all, welcome. And uh, if you're after more information, make sure you jump on social fishing website and check out our membership platform because as dan and i said we love helping and sharing what we're doing with others with you guys listening there that's why we create this podcast but if you want to take it one step further we have a whole suite of content there now mate i want to talk about this concept that has been reoccurring for us in so much content throughout oh forever um, but it seems yep. to come back to being one of the most critical, important things. Now, I know you and I just talked about make sure you go fishing for your own reason. And yep. even if you don't catch fish, if that's if you just go out there to enjoy some sunshine, no problem at all. But I know a lot of you out there want to go catch fish. Me personally, I want to go catch them. But the big thing that to take away from what Dan and I said before is to chase them in your way or how you enjoy it and don't worry about what other people think. But we still want to yep. go out and catch fish. That's the whole, probably the whole reason you jump on and listen to podcasts is because you want to learn as much so you can enjoy catching fish. And this is one concept that I think is, I don't know if you think it's the most important thing, but I believe that it could be, if you can get this right, and find fish based on this, it, 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 it'll change the way you fish. And what I want to talk about is this concept of concentrations. Yeah. Especially, and you can talk about cod, yellows, and even trout, but especially in impoundments, not so much rivers because the whole concentration thing doesn't apply as much. Um, in rivers, it's more about finding active 
activity and active fish and and that's also important in impoundments but before you find those it's not it's on par probably in impoundments is concentrations is probably on par with activity and active fish it's hand in hand i don't think it's two different scenarios i think it's they they come together so i'm sorry to cut you off but yeah yeah as if you are sorry (laughs) the whole concentration thing um, we're talking about numbers of fish, so we're talking about um, you know the word schooling fish gets used quite often, but uh, I think concentration of fish kind of gets it in your head a little bit clearer. Um, we're not talking about you know tightly bunched groups of fish necessarily. We're talking about a concentration of you know a greater amount of fish along a stretch of say fifty or hundred meter bank, and I think the activity or the actively feeding side of fish comes into that purely by the fact that there is more fish in that area. So if you look at it mathematically on a percentage type of thing, you know, I, I know that I've, you know, I've said this before, if you've got 100 fish on a bank and 10% of the fish in the entire lake are feeding on that day or that afternoon, you've got 10 fish that are going to actively hunt and eat your lure, right? Yep. But if you take that scenario and go, rightio, I've only got 10 fish, well, then there's only one fish that you're going to be able to actually get to eat. Yeah. So they're not, um, yeah, so you know what I mean? They're not separate. The actively feeding fish are going to be found within those concentrations of fish. Is that and in fact, also because you've got the, 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 the general rule is that there will be where there is more fish, the reason there are more there is because that's where the food is, so that's where they're feeding as a general rule. It's more yes. often than not that the fish that are in a group all know what's going on because they're looking for food. And a good example right. is your pelagics in the salt. They'll all start schooling up in big balls because there's a big ball of food. They're yeah, not schooling exactly right. up in a big ball to just just do nothing and oh, the yeah. food's all over there where there's two fish. It's never just yeah. two fish smashing a big bait ball. There's always the concentrations. That's right. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be food-based either. It can be a temperature thing in an yep. impoundment. Yeah. Um, or it, quite possibly, and I think with all the um, massive inflows in the lakes, I think sometimes it can be actually a, a water quality thing that they will chase that will congregate them in, in, you know, in a certain area. But whatever reason, probably doesn't matter so much. It's just the fact that it does concentrate them there. And, yeah, obviously... You know, food source is going to be a major part of it, um, but just the fact that those fish are there in better numbers, it's going to give you a much better chance of being able to fool one to eat, um, just for the fact that they—that's why they're there. You know, because there is so many there. So yeah, and what what Dan's saying as well is that what we've found personally ourselves, trip and trip and trip again. We always go, there's that concentration thing again. We found the concentration, we found the fish. Now, I'm going to say it's nine times out of ten. Now, one thing to get not get caught up on, and we talk about this all the time, is that you do not get stuck on inactive fish. So, yes, you might find a concentration of fish. If you can as quickly as possible work out if they're active or not, if they're active, good, go for gold. You found a winner. If they are not active, as soon as you can work out they're not active, they are not the concentration you want to stay on. 
you either want yeah. to, and, and basically what Dan said is you got a concentration on a 50 or 100 meter bank. It could be a concentration on a group of trees. You might have 50 trees in one bay. That's your concentration. It could be yeah. a specific type of point that then they're sitting on similar points throughout the rest of the lake. It could be a, a an entire uh, arm of a lake or a bottom third or, or a whole area that could be hundreds and yeah. hundreds of meters where they're all down in that area concentration. So, yeah. It's not just one type of concentration. It's 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 a it's a broad range, but it's still the same word. It's the same situation. Same the same thing that helps us catch fish. Whether it is a fifty meter bank concentration, or you've worked out there an entire arm, or on an entire group of trees. So just remember it. Yeah. Like that, they might be pushing up in an arm for flow. Cod, for example, they could be on. Um, let's say they could be towards one side of the lake because of whatever reason and there might be five yeah. or six little bays that they're all concentrating in. It could be an entire yeah. arm that they stretch their way through. It's not necessarily one pocket. It could be a kilometer of an arm, but that is the concentration. For example, yeah. Burrenjuk, we're finding a concentration in one arm compared to another yeah. arm and those arms are 10 kilometers long, but that still yeah. to us is a concentration when you're finding possibly in excess of 100 or 150 cod in that arm compared to four or five in the other arm for the same yeah. amount of water. Um, yep, that's right. And for more details on all of that stuff, we obviously share which and where in all the reports that we put up. But yes, yep. that's the concept. And what the concept, we're going to talk about concentrations and, and finding them and fishing for them, but just remember, don't get caught on an inactive concentration. And by that, I mean you might have one tree with yellow belly on it. Don't get stuck on that one tree that's got 20 fish because you might be in a, in a concentration of an entire arm. So, you actually just have to yeah. find the activity within that large concentration. Is that Does that sound yes. right? Like you just got to... I'm happy for you to jump yeah. in and explain that in another way. But it's very... It's, it's very unique to find one single concentration where it's only basically around your boat. There, It does happen in spots, like it does happen in blaring in one key spot um, where they'll just be specifically right on that point where you are at that time. Um, and if they're not biting on that time, well, then it's time to try and find another concentration somewhere else. Don't get yeah, stuck yeah. on inactive fish. Yeah, and so I think if you can find a concentration in a certain scenario whether it be a point of a certain angle or a tree in a certain depth or, you know, uh, uh, an inflow or something like that, I would then, you know, okay, I found a concentration here. They're not biting now, right? I will then go to another spot not too far away and go, right, yeah, let's replicate. Let's take that scenario, whether it be that tree or that point, Let's look for one similar, you know, facing the same direction, whatever it might be, and then hop that. Let's go and try that. If you find a concentration of fish on there, rightio. Now we know the type of bank or the type of structure or whatever it might be they're going to be holding on, and then you can hop from one to the next. Somewhere in one of those situations, one of those concentrations of fish is going to be firing. At a certain time. At a certain time. And so I would actually, you know, if I've got the chance to, I will say, righty, I've got spot one, two, three, through to five or six and go, I'm going to hop. And then I'm going to go all the way back to number one again 
And quite often you will find that you get back to number one and, oh, bang, I'm on. I've got a fish right out beauty. These fish are now feeding for whatever reason, be it a light thing, a barometer thing, a time of day, whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, as long as you can stick to those concentrations and, you know, probably sort of, you know, we talk about moving. We talk about moving spots as well. You've got to be prepared to leave a concentration of fish if they're not the right concentration. And a right concentration of fish is a concentration of fish that are feeding. Yep. So spot one might not be feeding at 11 o'clock in the morning, but come 6 o'clock that evening, spot one might be the place to go mm. because you know there's 20 or 30 or 50, 100 yellows in that area. They're going to feed at some stage today because barometer's rising this afternoon. The light's getting lower after 6 o'clock. Let's go back and give them another crack. Yeah, because you know that's that's a concentration, and maybe spot one's the only place you do find a concentration. You might spend the rest of the day trying to replicate that spot one, and not find any fish anywhere else. Well, you know, you know you're going to go back because you've got to give that spot one another crack. You know the fish are there. Let's hope that they switch on in the afternoon or something like that, or the next day, or yeah, you know, I've got a different technique I'm going to try, or a different lure I'm going to try. And, um, yeah, get them fired up. So, to expand on this, this is awesome. I love this stuff. This applies to cod and yellows, but they are slightly different species. Yellows are more predictable. So, that whole concept of what Dan said about, and you still do the same thing for cod because you've got it. There's no other info to go off. But for yellows, you're very likely to find them on a same depth on a very similar point facing the same direction. They'll st- yes. they very commonly do that and they will commonly switch on and off as you rotate throughout that day. Cod, on the other hand, can be a little bit trickier because those spots can sometimes be very subtle. They can sometimes be completely different, but you still have to try and pick similarities in the spot. And I would say nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, that it is a food, a food, uh, a water temperature and a structure-based thing. That's probably 10 out of 10. But I'm going to say nine times out of 10, if there is food structure and, and the right water temp there, that they will nine times out of 10 feed. So, it's yeah. very rarely yeah. that we rock up to a spot. You know, like for example, the best spot that we found during our Windermere trip, we got some sort yeah. of something from the yellows in the first spot, go at that spot. We might have caught one or two yeah. and then we come yeah. back to that spot and then eventually it will fish even better. Usually, yes. if you can find a good concentration Nine times out of ten, if it's gonna if they're gonna bite, they usually you get some sort of a sign out of them at any time. Cod yes. are the same. If you do a night session on the right night in the bromet, now cod are a little bit different. You can't just fish for ten minutes, then jump like or half an hour and then move around really quickly. It yeah, could take you don't get that feedback could, quite so quickly. No, it could take trip after trip after trip. But usually if you spend a night session on spot A, say you normally normally if you're chasing cod, I'll do two probably three three completely different spots but if you fish spot a and spot b for a night session and you saw a stack of fish at spot a didn't really get the the hit you wanted or the activity that you wanted there's a good chance you you will find or you will produce fish from that spot in the future if you find them there especially if there's food source there it might just not happen on that particular night um but if you get any kind of response from them any look but it's just finding cod in general it's finding that concentration so you're yeah to take away from this episode it is and and 
there's, there's two scenarios, right? One is don't be afraid to waste sessions to try and locate fish because that research will go an incredibly long way down the track. You'll catch way yeah. more fish by looking and moving and shifting spots. Don't just pick a spot, go, well, there's a couple, fish all night, struggle, maybe get one fish, maybe get one the next trip, maybe do another five trips over winter and get one more because you're sort of yeah. stuck around the same spot. Move around until you do find that concentration. So, the other scenario is, which a lot of us find ourselves in, even me at times, is that we don't have time to do that. We might not have time to yeah. pick the best sessions. We don't, might not have time to go out that many times and that is, and I have seen that need. I, I've seen that need for over a decade and that is pretty much the basis of why I created the membership platform is that we now have people fishing these spots on a regular basis. Dan, you fish Barrenjuk two, three times a month over winter and share yep. the information on what spots are dead and what spots produce. Same for yep. me for Blanks, same for all the other reports that we write. For We've got 19 reports from across New South and Vic where yep. that research is kind of done for you so then you can fish on these concentrations because these concentrations are crazy important. If you look at Burrenjack last winter, yeah. the yep. amount of dead zones, that's what it is. It's about concentrations versus dead zones. Not yep. every bank that you look at has fish. Usually, there's only 10% of the banks that have 90% of your fish. There is so much dead water at Barrenjuk. It's not funny. There's dead water everywhere yeah. except for probably Copeton. Well, the place is loaded in cod. <laughs> there are so many fish that's in right. the joint. There is dead zones everywhere. That's exactly right. Um, and I actually try and set myself challenges at Barrenjuk to go and find concentrations concentrations of big cod in other areas during winter. Uh, one, because it's challenging and I enjoy a challenge. Um, and two, because those, you know, some of those popular spots do see a fair bit of traffic and I tend to like to fish with a fair bit of space around me. I don't want to fish within casting range of other boats. Um, that's just not what it's about for me. Um, and in, you know, pursuing those different areas, I can guarantee that there is so much water that does not contain a fish that you, it it's blows my mind. Isn't it? And it looks good. The spots look good. So don't yeah. be deceived by it. There's logs here. Looks good. It's rocky. You do a whole session. You're like, man, that sucked. Sometimes you could yeah. only pass one or two fish for the session. It is so important. Yeah. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. So important. It's, it's massive. And I mean... I I was always of a thinking that, you know, the fish would be spread as long as we can replicate a few different things, we'll find them everywhere and really that's just not the case. Um, yeah, it's – and you do, like you said, you have to be um, either able to spend that much time out there to, to basically go fishless session after session. I mean, I, I don't know, you could spend years – doing that um, to finally circle in. You can circle out until you can circle back into where they actually are concentrated. Um, but I was, I've been really surprised at, at what I've been, the amount of bank I've been able to write off is going, you know what, don't even bother. Don't even bother with that whole arm. You, you know, 
If you're new to it, how would you know? How would you know? If you ever like fish rocky edges, fish timber, fish these banks, you know, you get there and you go, holy, like I've done a couple of big sessions, night sessions up uh, in some sections of the Bidgey Arm because some sections are dead and some sections are good. And I've gone, man, that was just a tough night and believed that there were fish there. But in all honesty, there is very few fish through that section. That's right. Exactly right. Yep. And the little pockets are, you know, you're talking one or 200 metres of bank or one particular bay. There'll be three bays with nothing and one bay will have them. Yeah. And you wouldn't know. I mean, that's... No, no, you don't know. And I mean, I, I don't know until either I find them myself or I speak to someone. I'd speak to quite a few people that fish the dam regularly. And so I, you know, get a fair bit of intel that way and I will go and then process that information, put it to work and go, oh, yeah, okay, that, that was true. There they are. Um and, you know, then I get to share that with people, which that thrills me to bits to be able to go, rightio, guess what? You don't have to fish in spot X where there's 50 other boats. You can go to spot Y. Yes, there is less fish, but there's also not, you know, boat on top of boat with blaring lights and, you know, all that sort yeah. of business. You can have a little pocket on your own and still be in the zone where there's, a you know, a big fish out there looking to feed so mm. that's yeah i really enjoy that part of um of what i do with the uh, with the platform that's for sure so it, it just goes a long way for example i've fished blaring so much since i for the last 15 years and i've in doing that i'm able to because i only live down the road i'm able to waste nights and sessions and and find these spots and i've also probably done similar at bone jack but there's other lakes for, that, that that i don't know so even me yeah. personally, I will find info from people who create content, the the contributors from my areas, and obviously the maps um, yeah. that we have uh, for chasing. Whether we go up to Yukonbean to chase trout, or I go to Lake Hume to yeah. chase the yellows, I don't fish Lake Hume nearly enough. But that intel comes from others who are willing to share and fish that system, yeah, and that yeah. goes for all. I the jump lakes. on, yeah, I jump on reports about. Um, I'm not going to say all the reports, but I jump on a lot of reports when they come out every month and read them just to see if I can piece together little clues that I can use at my home dam or, you know, if I am planning a trip to Yukonbean um, or something like that, I'll even read up on Dartmouth and go, you know what, that works for Matt down there. Let's see if we can employ some of those techniques when we go and chase trout at Yukonbean. And, yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah, so much information Um which all just goes, like I said earlier in the podcast, we spoke about having all those little bits of information that we learn ourselves. Well, you can also learn that from so many different other people that um, are basically just concentrating that that information for you. Yeah. It's so helpful. It's so handy. Yeah. So you go on a session at Yukonbean, tell me it's tough. I don't have to go spend two and a half days to know that it's tough in that scenario. But now we can apply yeah. that scenario and go, right, if that, as soon as that weather changes or something else changes, then it might be worth going, um, vice yeah. versa. If it's really good, then you know when to go. Yeah. Now, following on from that, following on from our concentrations, mm-hmm. we find our concentrations. Now, the next step in not getting caught out is they move, which is an absolute bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Cod yeah, specifically. Golden perch do it, but not as bad. Golden yeah. perch are quite predictable. Um, they do move though. Uh, they'll disappear, yeah. but they'll usually show up somewhere else. Cod, on yeah. the other hand, especially in some lakes more than others, will move yeah. from 
morning to night, from night to night, from week to week, yeah. month to month. Yeah. They will move. Um, I've done plenty of night sessions at Blaring where one weekend, even, no, we did a camp, we did, okay, this, we did a session, it was a really good example, uh, in 2017, it was June, July, it was minus five one of the nights. It, what's that? I said, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the coldest sessions we've done, but that's regard not 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 the point but we yeah, fished yeah. two night sessions right the first night we got one two fish and a dropped fish so we got three hits uh right on yeah. dark we got a 96 then we dropped another really good fish and then i got a meter 12 um at about 11 p.m now we rolled up to this bank which we fish all the time and there was this was back when i just had traditional sonar just a little seven inch sonar yeah. screen um, and I didn't, I used it a little bit, but didn't use it a stack. Um, I usually just went off gut feeling, carp jumping, knowing the spots. Um, and based on what I did back then, I've now learned a lesson, which is, which is a mistake that I made on this trip, which I now use on every trip, which has caught me more fish, if that makes sense. So yeah. we, we worked this bank and there was bait showing up everywhere. There were carp and all sorts of little arches. Some of them were probably trout, but most of them were carp and some small yellows. But there were carp scattered along this bank everywhere, out out wider where we were casting. We got 96 uh, on a plastic, then we dropped one on a plastic, then 11 p.m. we got a, uh, a meter 12. And then we fished through yeah. till about 2 a.m. without another hit. Good session. That's a good session for chasing cod. Yeah, yeah. There is four of us, yeah, yeah. four of us in two boats. So and we and yeah. back then we kind of fished um, two boats tail to toe. So all four of us were talking. So we we're like yeah. two boats right one followed the other. Um, and yeah. that's just because well, one the second boat didn't have a sounder, but we also don't mind it. And to prove your theory wrong, or to those who say the person in the back boat don't doesn't catch fish, the last person in the last boat got the ninety six. The first person in the last boat, so the third person casting along the bank, missed the dropped hit, and yep. I was at the front of the first boat, got the meter 12, yep. but just goes to show that cod move around that much that it really, in an impoundment, when you're not casting to a log in a river where the fish is sitting yeah, and waiting. Yeah, when they're, when they're cruising around feeding. It really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So if I go out yeah. for a session and I know that they're there and they're on, or if I find them, I'll call a mate if he's out there and go, "Oh, you join us and just follow us around this bank, um, or yeah. do laps around this bay with us because I'm there for yeah. everyone to catch fish." Anyway, that yeah. happened. So the next night we did the same thing. We first we fished the yeah. other bank where we got the 96. No luck. We moved to this same bank. We worked it till 2 a.m. Um, difference, not a single bit of bait, but we still spent the whole entire session there. Yeah, and I know we talk about how food source is critical for cod, and that is what will make the concentrations move. So that is yeah. what will make the cod move. It's not that the cod are still there and not feeding because there's no food. The cod are feeding. They've gone to another bay. They've gone around the corner. They've travelled to wherever that food is. They might be up shallower that night. They might have been there, but we might have been dropping our lures too short or dropping yeah. them on their head because they're in a meter of water and spooking them. It's all about finding concentrations, which is linked hand-in-hand hand with food source and cover um, when it comes yeah. to cod, especially yeah. cod. Golden perch are very temperature-based structure-orientated because um, it's yeah. usually yep. yabbies and that scattered everywhere, but they usually right, for some yeah. reason sit on some form of island or point or tree yeah. that's it's unique and it's and it's a good temperature for them. Um, 
Yeah, so that's the next piece of the puzzle. Concentration is a key. Finding yep. active concentrations and also concentrations move. Fish move, especially yep. cod. And you've yep. got to work that out session to session. You've got to find where they are. And there's a few options to that. We actually put together a few videos in the membership on how we approach a session, which kind of answers yep. this question. I remember we were on that Wyangler trip and, and Graham asked... I think he asked while I was sitting in the campfire, he's like, oh, how do you know yeah. where to start and then how long to spend on a bank and then when to move to the next bank? And yeah. remember you and I looked at each other and go, that's what we just spent that whole day, <laughs> half a day before you guys got here filming. In the rain. On. Yeah, in the rain. In between the rain, yeah. And yeah. as a summary of those videos, which you can obviously watch more of to, to find the details, the summary is you do your research first before your trip Yeah. Um, yeah. on prior your own prior experience or experience from others and that mm-hmm. leads to the perfect um, answer for that is the membership content and the maps. You do research. Yep. Then you have a plan. So, you set a plan. You go execute that plan. You adjust that plan if the weather is not right, if the fishing is not right. Um, you have a few yep. spots lined up your sleeve, especially for cod, even yellows. You start with spot A. If it doesn't work, you move, you move, you move, you move. Um, and then from there, you you develop your trip from there. And obviously, those videos uh, go into a lot more detail on it, including how we find fish if you do have a sounder, how you find fish if you don't have a sounder, and how you would work it out with and without a sounder. Without is a lot harder. Um, even with a traditional 2D sonar, you can go a long way because you know your depth, yes. you know your structure, you know your bait below you, um, and then your yep. live tech takes it that next step further again. Yeah, definitely. Anything to add there, mate, on that, on concentration? No, 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 that's about it. it um, yeah, I guess just to cap off on that whole concentration idea, that's it, it's worth putting in the extra effort to find that concentration of fish rather than just mumbling along, um, you know, in not productive areas spending so, too much time like an hour or an hour and a half in a not productive area yeah so you know you can fumble along um the lake going you know we'll give this a bit of a go and you know you start casting away and the next thing you know you've burnt two hours on the same sort of bank and had no results you're better off spending that two hours actually jumping from one spot to another, giving it, say, five or ten minutes to give yourself a better chance of finding that pocket of concentration. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily wasting time by moving or motoring around a lake. You're actually making your fishing time at the end of the day, hopefully, um, a hell of a lot more productive. Because as we know, if we find a concentration of yellow belly holding on a bank or a stand of trees or something, once you find them, the fishing can be really, really red hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it takes you three hours to find that concentration, it is going to be worth it. It's a hard Where skill to control sp- too. Oh, very, very much so. Very much so. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's hard to know, okay, do I, do I cut and run from this spot? I, you know, something tells me it's going to be good. So you stick with it a little bit longer and, you know, you get a slight whisper of a fish and then you get stuck there. It happens where, to all of us though. Oh, That's a part of it. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's what makes it challenging and fun and why we keep going back. Because it's not all but, cut and dry. It's not just easy. No, no, no. 
Definitely not. It's all about experience. It's all about knowledge and experience and, you know, like I said, putting all those little bits of information together to try and um, to try and none it out every time you go out because just about every time is different. Um, so, yeah, just spend the time to find the concentration because once you find them, um, yeah, it's going to be on for you. Just to Hopefully. lead on from that, so there's two scenarios there. You have to be able to move um, to find yep. your concentrations, which I think is easier. So if there's nothing happening, nothing going on, it's pretty easy to go, let's get out of here. Yep. Um, then yep. there's the second skill, which is very difficult, and I have an example from our Hume session. Now, this is one little lesson that I talk about in the trip report. Very important lesson, actually, that I covered in the trip report, along with all the other lessons like where we fish, what we do. Now, we do this on every trip report that we write. So if you find this... Uh, is very important knowledge that you can then go apply to your next session, then it's highly worth checking out these trip reports, especially if you're planning to fish at that destination that we've just fished. For example, Wyangla. I know so many members who yeah. caught so many cod right through mm, all of huge. winter after our yeah. uh, session because that technique produced all winter. But I went out there and I met up with James Harris. He writes the uh, report for Hume. Now, yeah. We were fishing the trees and we're fishing the trees and cutting a long story short, it was about a two-hour session from four o'clock till six o'clock. I was there all day, but James and his yeah. mate Luke rocked up at four o'clock. We were fishing sort of not far from them, too far to sort of yell to them through these trees. Yeah. Now, in two hours, two hours went past and Alex and I had hopped quite a lot and we'd moved a lot of trees. And this was yep. only because we'd learned how they were behaving early in the morning, which changed my approach throughout the day. Now, I talk about this in the video we filmed. The video is available in the membership. It shows the 11 fish we catch. But after each fish, I give you a little bit of a snippet of what I'm learning and what I've processed throughout the day and how you can just watch and how my technique changes. I explain my first starting technique and then after a couple of fish, I go, right, they're acting like this. We need to do this. And by the end of the day, we worked out exactly what to do and you can see that change um, throughout the video. Yep. So the videos, when you watch us catch fish, it's not just about watching us catch fish. You're actually watching how we fish, what we do with our rod, what we do to get the fish to bite, but also explaining how my session changed. But what we did was we got to this tree and I look back to them and I'm like, geez, they're, they're not moving real quick. Sometimes the approach that James used works. Sometimes the approach yeah. that I used works. It's just that we had figured that out during that day. But anyway, I caught yeah. up to him at 6 o'clock. In those uh, two hours, we caught four fish. And I turned around and I said, how many did you get? And they go, none. Yeah. And I go, yeah, okay. you didn't move quick enough. And he goes, yeah. there were fish everywhere. I'm like, how many trees did you fish? You're like, oh, three or four. We'd fished about yeah. 25 trees. I'm yeah. like... So what the, the whole this comes back to that concept of fishing on inactive concentration. Yeah, yeah. So basically, we'd found the concentrations. There were fish on all these trees everywhere. Alex and I knew yeah. that, but we knew that they were so very shut down that yeah. what we found is it was instead of trying to pick apart each fish, it was better to fish an aggressive quick retrieve through the tree do it a couple of times, no action, next tree, next tree, next no tree. Point. About seven or eight trees in, you'd get one fish fly out and jam it. Bang, we caught one. Yeah. So we caught yeah. four fish by moving to find active fish within the concentrations compared to wasting time on inactive fish. Now, we've talked about this over and over yeah. again, but that was one of the big lessons yeah. and I wrote about that in, um, yeah. in that trip report. So super valuable lesson that will help 
anyone going out there and I just wanted to share that with you. That's just an example yeah. of one of the many things we cover and explain the lessons that we learn for our trips. And in that individual instance, sometimes it's better to sit on top of them and work them apart and they will bite. Yeah. We worked yeah. out they weren't biting. So, we had to find the active fish in the concentrations. So, that's an example yeah. of that that second yeah. part, which is very hard to do. That takes a lot of practice to go leave fish to find fish because there's a rule of don't leave fish to find new fish. But we weren't really yes. leaving. Yep. We weren't leaving fish to find fish because that would be leaving the whole trees and finding a new group of trees like kilometers away or leaving yeah, yeah. the trees to find a rocky bank. And I said to yep. Alex, that doesn't make sense to me because we know that one in every 40 of these fish will eat. So, I'd prefer to work yeah. through these than try and try yep. and fish a rocky edge where we're just getting picked by redfin. And in yep. that instance, yep. I used the... We were staying because we were lecking between each one. So, there's no downtime. Yep. We yep. knew that we were going from fish to fish to fish to fish. So, it was actually a really easy choice to make. But it's that whole concept of not getting stuck on the ones that won't yeah. eat and there's the difference in your fish. And then the boys started doing that for the afternoon. We left at 20 past 7. They fished till yep. dark. So, I don't know what dark was. Maybe another hour and they caught four fish. There you go. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Starting to move between the trees quickly. Yeah. And that, I, don't, I guess, you know, you've got two boats on a concentration of fish and that's just another expansion of, but then you have to use a different level of knowledge or, or clue or whatever it might be to then turn, okay, well, if we found a concentration, now we're going to get them to bite. This is how we're going to do it. And your idea was basically to put more lures over more fish more often. So different fish, giving different fish an option to eat or not eat, basically. Yeah, it and, wasn't even... Yeah, it was just putting them in the vicinity of where those fish were and just trying to find yeah. one that was that hungry to travel five meters and eat it because so yeah. many of them just didn't even want to bar it. But you could tease some in, like you could tap it on their nose and yeah. tease them into eating yeah. and it did work. Yeah. But if you yeah. worked out, if I did that all day versus the other technique all day, the other yeah. technique was trumps big time because when two of you are fishing, yeah. you both can't be tapping them on their noses because only one can do it at a time yeah. with the screen. That's right, yeah. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to do that. And we would have caught yeah. less. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds like a good session, that one. It was. It was a very good session. Um, and Alex got a PB, 60 centimetres, and then I pulled out of nowhere, um, just casting at the tree. Same thing. We weren't even... At this stage, I was only using it to just look at the tree and go, yeah, they're there, and I'd just yeah. whip it in and just shake it out just to try and get an active one, and I managed to get a 64 centimetre. That's that one I put up on socials the other day that was a massive... Huge fish. Massive yellow. Yeah, they don't build a much bigger than that one. No, except for the 365 you've caught, which I didn't realise. I thought I'd beaten you, but I was going to have no, to get a 66 now. That was before. That was probably before bloody digital photography even, mate. So, so there's no proof. You got a old Polaroid. The first one old, would have been anyway. One of those photos you used to have to develop <laughs> at Big W. Wait two weeks yeah, to yeah. get your photos. Yeah. I really lashed out, mate. I'd buy a 36-shot roll. Yeah, do you, really do you believe that I actually started my fishing career using them? Do you believe that I'm actually that, I'm not that young, I'm still... Really? Yeah, 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 I've got, I'll show you those, I've got folders, <laughs> I've got all my photos and folders on my computer and I reckon you go back to, digital cameras might have just been out but they were super expensive. Yeah. And I remember yeah. I took the start of my career, it was the very end of the career for that style of photography developed there you go. photos as photos. And I used to scan them so they're on the computer, scanned and wonky and yeah. Yep. I know you've probably done it for a decade, but 
Yeah, no, yeah. I, I probably didn't photo a lot of fish as fish a kid. in my early, early days, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, yeah, certainly got a couple of albums kicking around with, um, you know, Kodak. Kodak. Fuji Film was another one. Yeah. Go down and rabbit photos and, yeah, you wouldn't go back to that one because you didn't do a real good job of developing You'd go and try somewhere else and <laughs> wait three days for them to be ready and go back and pick them up and see how good you've done with them. Yeah, I remember you'd only take one photo of a fish, maybe two if you're lucky, yeah. and just hold him out, click. Oh, well, hope that's yep. good. That was it. Yeah, eyes closed or fish look small or all that sort of stuff that didn't even come into it. It was just, yep, there's the There's the there's proof. The there's the proof. Yep. That's it. There's no cameras on phones. See, I'm not that... Uh, I reckon I was born at a really good time, sort of understand how the world sort of used to be before this massive explosion in technology. I, yeah, I still remember what it was like when I was eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Compared to now. Yeah. I'm sure... Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll... I don't know. Have you seen... Did, do you personally think it just exploded the, the way that we live the world through technology from like 2005 to 2015, like that decade? Uh, or has it been every decade that the advancements been yeah, the same? No, I kind of feel like it's been the same all the way through. Really? It's just From a, radio to yeah, TV to... Yeah. Yeah, righto. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I feel like it's... From when I... Well, yeah, probably from that 05 till now, I think it's just been exploding. Yeah. Like even, yeah. Look at what we're doing that. here with podcast. Yeah, yeah. There's no yeah, tech for that exactly back right. in 2000. No, no, I'd, yeah. It'll be really yeah, quite fascinating to take a, you know, a ten-year-old brain from back then and compare it side by side with a ten-year-old brain right now and just see how the world actually looks. But mm. we can't. We don't have that privilege. Um, this has been a good app, mate. Thanks for that. I know that we uh, a lot of it probably feels like repeat, well, not repeated, but we talk about a lot of this stuff in detail in the membership and I just wanted to yeah. do a bit of a summary on late spring yellows for everyone who enjoys the podcast because I know yeah. a lot of you guys listen and love the podcast and we do a lot of um, interview, guest interview stuff, which we will do most of our content on. Uh, the previous yeah. one to this was on the floods and there's been a lot of develop the fish kills, there's been a lot of developments out mm. of that with some other opinions and I'm going to make sure they are shared um, yep. because the first one was just one side of the story. So we'll probably do a four-part series to those floods and fish kills. I'll do another yep. another side of the story. Then I want to get yep. someone on from a government point of view uh, to say, to give us why they do it the way they do it and, what's, and why they don't do anything to do with this other side of the story or what they believe. And then a final fourth one, as just kind of like a recap and what we believe from the information we've found should happen, yeah. whether it does or not. I'm not sure, but the um, the fish kills yeah. are terrible. But anyway, we do the interviews, we do that, and I just thought um, you and I might touch base every now and then, once every two months, and just do a discussion on a species or a fish yeah. topic or yeah. whatever's relevant at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, even though cod opening is less than a week away from the time we've published this podcast and we're talking about yellows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite an odd thing. I actually um, had a message from Jim Bob the other day who says, um, is it worth doing a session at Burrenjuff? Or I'm thinking of doing a session at Burrenjuff for cot opening, but am I wasting my time? And it hadn't really dawned on me that I actually hadn't thought about cot opening um, much at all, let alone trying to pick somewhere where I'm going to go or you know, going to Burrenjuff and how I'm going to 
carry it, you know, how I'm going to carry out that session. It hadn't, it just dawned on me all of a sudden that I actually hadn't even thought about it. So crazy. Um, yeah, it, it, it's quite odd. I just don't feel like we've had a spring, and so therefore it doesn't seem right that we're going to be moving into um, cod season. Well, we just. Last season was a yeah. yo-yo, but it wasn't this bad. I remember it was pretty hot no. the night we camped before cut opening. Yeah, no, it was nothing on this one. This is a whole new level of Cold. rubbish weather. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Go back a couple of years ago and say, hey, Dan, you're going to be lighting your fire on the 22nd of November. I'll be going, <laughs> don't think so, pal. I'd be air conditioned going and kicking back in the pool with a stubby more like it. But... Um, yeah, no, she's different, and yeah, it's just been a stop-start spring, and it just doesn't quite feel just right to be chasing cod. But I guess I don't know. That'll soon change, I reckon. Once I start looking into it, could be a good cod season. We could be fishing a lot shallower for them, like we have with the yellows, and and we've picked some yeah. good pockets for the yellows and had some good sessions. So very true. The impairments very could true. be good too. So um, it's just pick your windows and yeah, and pick your lakes that aren't flooding because that that will cause an issue but if they yeah if they settle out and we get those 30 degree temps um and we do have a nice yep. december january yeah it could really be on and not have to fish deep mm. um and to yeah, follow be excellent <clears throat> to follow on from what we talked about with the yellows and a standard spring just as a summary this year is not standard and these fish will sit a lot shallower and you'll be able to fish the edge right through till mid-january um, and they won't yep. be super, super deep. So there's it, a good opportunity to actually chase yellows and not have the barotrauma issue right through yep. probably the whole summer, but possibly, but we'll see. It doesn't take yep. long. Two weeks of high 30 degrees doesn't take long for the surface temp to, to, to you know, rise. And then, but then again, five meters yeah. down is still quite cool. So that top section yep. will rise really quick, but the bottom will yep. stay cool. So they might not need to push to eight meters. Um, they might still you might still find them in that five or six meter mark. That's right. We've still got overnights in the single digits at the moment. So uh, it was four degrees at Burrage up there the other morning. So um, yeah, I don't think the water temps will be racing up anytime soon. So it'll be a shallower bite all the way through, which will be more fun for everybody, I think. And I know um, I, along with probably a lot of other people out there, possibly suffer from hay fever, but I get it absolutely terribly and. I only started hitting me two weeks ago and I went, oh, yeah, spring's here. <laughs> I was like, I actually stopped for a second and went, I've actually, once that realized that, I'm like, this spring's been good. <laughs> I haven't had to yeah, worry about yeah. going out and sneezing my head off, hanging the clothes out. So, it's only just hit. So, that's crazy because normally that hits me in September. Um, yeah, yeah. Wild, wild season. Yes. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty much us done mate uh that's a fairly lengthy podcast if anyone's on a two-hour road trip to a fishing spot you're probably nearly there uh just before we finish up um because i know yep. we touched on it in at the very 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 start but also in the last podcast episode i just want to just mention the and i want you to share the response you had from episode i think it was 59 um where for a fair oh, yeah. chunk yep. of it you did talk about some of the struggles of what people go through in life um, especially with yep. mental health and and overworking themselves and stress and we had probably the best response from any podcast more you than me I did get a lot of messages but a lot of them messaged you as well just run us yep. through the response you got from that um, yeah people reaching out it was really good yeah. it was a really powerful episode yeah look I um, 
you know, when we'd done that episode, I, you know, I sort of got away. You know, after we'd finished, I thought, you know, geez, that, that got pretty pretty heavy there, sort of thing. And more than you and, planned. And it did it. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, it was. You know, there was, at no stage did we ever sit back before recording and go, "Guess what? We're going to unravel this whole story of how you got here." Yeah. Um, you know, based on sort of what happened. Um, you know, with my my mental health sort of thing, and so you know, go yeah, cool. That was yeah, that was pretty heavy. Um, and it was only within a couple of days after that was published, um, I got one or two messages from people, and um, I remember showing my wife and going, "Geez, have a look at this!" Like, and, and some of these were really um, sort of, you know, in depth sort of people opening up about issues that they were having and. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's cool. You know, hopefully that's helped some people. Or, you know, it's kind of a, a, a weird, strange sort of thing to have, um, you know, a, a fishing podcast such a um, an impact on people's mental health and being able to help people that way. And I was like, oh, you know, that's that's really good. And in the following weeks, I had heaps of people messaging. Some were saying, look. Thanks, Dan, for opening up. You were really honest, and that's really good because it, you know it encourages other people. And you know, it came from people that had suffered or were suffering, or people that had known mates that had had trouble, or people that hadn't even suffered at all, and just said, "Look, that was that was amazing. Like, you know, it's potentially going to help someone to not slide down that same slippery slope." So, um, yeah, I you know, ongoing message conversations with people and. Um, it was it was really good. There was people that were saying, "Look, um, I'm struggling. It sounds so similar to where I'm at. I've got my own business. I'm having trouble with staff, or I'm having trouble balancing my um, family life. Um, you know, I don't get out for a fish because I'm, you know, caught up with work all the time and all this sort of thing." So um, it was really really powerful. Um, you know, and I don't ever give. My advice never comes from a professional point of view. No, it's of always course, yeah. just related to my experience, and obviously through my experience, I you know I, I spoke to a lot of people to get help to recover, um, to get myself back on track, and you know obviously I, I do sort of draw on that help that helped me, but I always make it very clear to people that um, mental health is a very, very personal problem. It's a very personal issue with people that, and it's one. that's one of the things that makes it so tough to talk about or to, for other people to understand is because it's so personal. It's so different. For everyone. Every single case is, is so different to the next. And so, you know, one of the things that I really try and emphasize when I do you know, respond to people and say, hey, you know, like, this is what worked for me is to just emphasize that that's just... That's that worked for me. It's only just my personal advice, um, you know, more to try and maybe give people some tools or, or just show them a bit of an avenue of what they can explore for themselves to work at their own um, path to recovery. Yeah. Rather than saying you need to go and do this. One thing that I found, um, you know, when I really hit the skids was people would try and fix me. That is probably one of the most frustrating things 
um, for people who are struggling is having people try and fix them that don't have any actual professional um, knowledge or experience because that's not actually what you need when you're in that situation. You don't need someone to try and fix you because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone else on the outside can fix you. People, I mean, professional psychologists, psychologists, things like that are all there from my opinion, are there to help you to help yourself. Yeah, to help to trigger you to help yourself. Yep. So they will give you the tools. They will they know how to speak and ask the right questions and all those sort of things. But that's all about getting out what's what's already inside you. All those things that they share and help and uh, and advise you with is it's all about getting that out of you because like I said it's very personal from one person to the next so yeah um, you know so it, it's um, yeah it, it was really good it was really um, a positive experience for me um, you know to have to have people reach out and um, you know because it, it, it's it's an ongoing struggle for me all the time like it's struggle is probably not the right word it's Something that has to be managed all the time. Yeah, it's not a uh, cut and dry. So, know. the biggest thing I take away from the last episode and this one, sorry to cut you off, is that You're right. you shared so people know it's not just them in the world that it happens to. So, they yeah. see you holding up a fish, smile and happy, you know, but yeah. people, the stuff goes on to everyday people, everyone out there who you yeah. might see is... Yeah as it not happening to us. So I think that was the best thing. It kind of took a weight off people's shoulders who were struggling to go, oh, it's not just me. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. Dan's talked about how it is manageable. Um, yep. But it, it doesn't just disappear as well as what you're saying now that don't expect yeah. it to just... And, and it might for some, there might there, there might be a way to... And I, remember, I have never... I don't... Ex- I've never experienced anything. I've got no... No... Yep personal experience of what you and many people listening there have listening to this podcast have been through personally of yep. not so I, I don't understand um, so excuse me if I say things that don't make sense um, and I'm yep. not going to try and feel like I understand or give advice on I understand but some people it might completely disappear but like you said for yourself oh, it's look, something you got to manage yeah, yeah absolutely yep and um, I yeah, I don't know how I sort of describe that, but um, like it's just a matter of you know keeping in check, and, and you know one of the really important things, uh, and you know I did touch on it earlier about, um, uh, and I guess it's part of this in that uh, was fish fishing for yourself. So fishing for um, your own personal goals or gains rather than fishing for someone else's. Is don't, this why you don't give an absolute crap about people who go, oh, you caught them with live tech, who cares? And you're <laughs> like, I really don't care because I didn't fish for you. No, I really could not give two hoots what someone thinks about me catching anything um, using live technology. That is the absolute least of my concerns if someone wants to comment about that. Um <sighs> Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that. I really I think you've summed it up. Yeah. You know exactly what you're thinking yeah. about yeah. having a go yeah. at anyone because, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and it was really good what you said earlier where people had seen me on the socials 
holding up a cod or a yellow or whatever it might be, I'm always smiling, looking happy. And I guess it really touched home with people that um, that is the glossy social media, only see the good part um, side of it. Yeah. Where, you know, there, there's a whole big backstory to a lot of people's lives and, you know, it doesn't need to be shared because really, I mean, it, people follow my socials for fishing because there's nothing else on there, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. I don't post about anything else. I don't post about what I had for breakfast or, you know, <laughs> this glorious big meal that I cooked. I just... Yeah, all your troubles. You but know, the reason yeah. I asked you is because I knew a lot of people would relate and the point of you sharing the struggle was not for people to go, oh, sorry, Dan, sympathize with you. It's to oh, go, no. let's, the point of reason why I wanted to bring up in the last episode is so that you, we can help people. Yeah. It's got nothing to yep. do with sympathy because I don't give you no sympathy. No, no, no. And that's, that. no. And that's, and that's sort of goes on the same line as um, trying to fix people who are struggling. We don't need, well, I, don't look for sympathy. I don't look for people trying to fix me. I look for an ear to listen, someone to listen to, someone to speak to, and not necessarily speak about how I'm struggling. It could be just speaking about anything. Um, but just, you know, yeah, obviously a shoulder to, to lean on uh, from time to time is really helpful rather than going, oh, you know, geez, Dan's really struggling. Poor Dan. Yeah. No, I don't, that doesn't help me one little bit. Um, you know, just knowing that someone's there um, when I need them and anyone out there listening now, there is always someone out there who is willing to listen and, you know, if you feel like you want to message me and say, look, I'm struggling, I am always here to help um, with no judgment or no, you know, there's no other backstory. What you see is what you get. That's as simple as that. I can't offer professional advice, but I am here to... Share my experience if it does help someone to control their struggles or to stop themselves from getting um, as low as what I did, um, mm. yeah, those few years ago. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. I didn't really want to make this episode about it at all, but I just wanted to uh, reference it, um, yeah. and also just to explain to people listening that a lot of good come out of that episode. So. I just want to thank you yeah, for I uh, thanked you in the last one, but I want to thank you again, yeah, for bringing that up. And yeah, we don't want to go into yeah. it um, too much because it's all about fishing. But yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Um, it is a thing. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is that people, I, I don't know if we talked about it in the last one or not, that it was a continual thing, which I think we did. But just so people know, yeah. it's something that f- maybe they're listening again to you now and they're like, oh, I haven't fixed it. It's still there. Um, yep. You know, I made it a bit better, but it, it, just to know that it doesn't, just disappear for everyone yeah keep at it it's just like exercising or anything like that you know um you've, yeah you've got to keep in touch with yourself and um how you're feeling and and just nip it in the butt if it's you know if there's something that's sort of niggling at you a little bit make sure you're working on fixing it and putting all those little things in place to keep yourself on track yeah just before we finish up move on what's an example of that is is one example of that just resting or not pushing over pushing yourself. I'm just trying to think of yeah, definitely. of of something right. that someone can implement from your experience, not from professional advice at all. But yep. if it's something that's niggling and it's coming through, like I said, I have no idea of the cons. I know yep. that it's a mental thing, but you said it's much more than that. But 
to yep. stop it getting out of hand is becoming a if you're overworking your body and your mind is that something that allows it to break free yes definitely Poor um, sleep's like, a massive one yep um but yeah overworking obviously working two bigger hours or anything like that if you find yourself not being present in a conversation in the moment or being present in a moment whether it be fishing working talking to your wife or your kids if you're not actually in that moment at that time you need to check yourself. That's a huge life lesson in general for people who aren't struggling either. I live by yep. that and it's something I haven't lived by forever. Um, yep. And the sooner you can learn that, the yep. more you will enjoy and be fulfilled in life. But if you are always living in the future, you're just wishing life away. Yep, 100%. Yep. Like you getting excited past, for Whatever it might be. Just, yeah. Get excited for a yep. trip. Like that's not saying don't get pumped and excited. Yeah, no, for a that's trip and that's a different thing. Wish you're not yes. at work, but yeah, still there is a point where if you're sitting at the dinner table and you're thinking about, say, it's food, you're thinking about something you're gonna eat next yep. week, and you're not enjoying the meal you're having now. Yeah, enjoy the meal you're having now. Like you said, don't be on your phone wishing yep. you were fishing, no. scrolling through Facebook when you got the kids with you, and then yep. when you go fishing, wish you were home with the family. Yeah, so exactly that right, is mate. a huge problem and if you can like for myself when i'm home with the family i don't want to go away for five week five days and map and fish even though i love it yeah. i want to be with them yeah yeah so i'm with them yeah. right now when i'm with them and then i pack but as yeah. soon as i'm on the road it's bang it's five days of this like let's do that's it that's right yes i don't yeah. actually because talk to the, i do talk to her a little bit but i don't spend a stack of time on the phone talking to her because no, I'll be home, like just a quick catch up, but we're there yep. to do that. Even the night of, you know, we're there to map, we're there, I'm there to work. But even yep. the moment of, you know, charging cameras, getting food ready for the day, you're enjoying the conversation of that night. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean yep, to cut you off all... before. No, no, that's fine. And, and that, mate, that's a perfect example um, of what I was saying anyway. So, um, yeah, be present, get your rest, get your sleep. And if you do feel like you're taking too much on, don't be afraid to, um, you know, step back a little bit or, or, you know, take the foot off the pedal a little bit and just, you know, recheck where you're heading, what you're doing, what your goals are, you know. Even as far as, I'll even give an example when, you know, when we speak about the content creation thing that we're planning to do and it was the start of November and... I had a fair bit on and I remember saying to you, look, mate, I don't even know, I don't know what's happening with November. Don't hit me with all these scenarios because I actually don't know where I'm at, what work's doing, what family's doing and things like that. So, you know, and you were understanding, you said, yeah, cool, no worries. Or I think you might have even said, I'll leave you alone for November. Here we are doing a podcast, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but, Sorry. you know, <laughs> no, that, that's totally fine. But don't, you know, don't be afraid that just, you know, Put some little things in place to to just give yourself a bit of space to uh, gather yourself if you if you do think you're you're struggling or you're a little bit overwhelmed. Um, the people around you who are good people will understand. Um, if you tell them politely to bugger off. If you tell them politely to bugger off, I don't think I'll use those words. I think I just said I've got a bit on, and you said okay, well I'll leave you alone for a bit. So yeah, um, and you know that, that's just a way of of you know, removing a stressor that's um, potentially going to put more pressure on um, and have you being not present because you're thinking, you know, I've got this trip or that trip or, 
whatever else it may be. So we all live very busy lives and, um, you know, taking five minutes out for ourselves is really, really important because um, if, you know, you don't take time for yourself, then you won't have time for anyone else either. So that's right. Um, keep yourself in check. I think I did because I planned the week before to go to Hume with um, Alex and I said, we'll go for a trip because you told me don't. So I was thinking it's a couple of weeks and then... Yeah. Went to Hume with Alex and then Dan goes, oh, can we go to Hume next week? Yeah. <laughs> I went with Alex because yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fishies were biting. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but, you know, and I mean, I ended up going and you know went to Eukonbeam with the kids and stuff like that. And, and for me, that was good quality time spent with them, um, which you know really meant a lot. So, um, you know, and I was able to be present with them because, you know what, I wasn't thinking about a content trip that was coming up next week. I was only there at Ucombeen with those kids trying to work them bloody trout out. Yeah, so. work out while those frustrating trout went by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially after I talked it up to them about, you know, this lake's full of fish and we're going to, you know, catch so many. And they'd seen old videos and things I'd had on my phone of, you know, dozens of fish being caught over a couple of days and... Um, yeah, well, I mean, as it turned out, it was, it was probably one of the most memorable trips when you then, you know, we stopped in the little Yukonbean River on the way home and caught three trout in an hour, and that was uh, a really good example for the kids to persist and, and um, give it their all every step of the way, so... Worked out um, well in the end, because Henry got his rainbow, and he still got a couple yeah, of fish. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a really, yeah, it was a really good trip, uh, despite the the struggles of, you know, a day and a half for three fish on the lake and I think I said an hour and a half for three fish on the river. So, um, yeah, it was it was actually a really good trip, yeah. How'd you end up fixing your trailer? You want to tell that story? Um, I unbolted it and welded it up, yeah. So, up there? Um, no, no, once I got home. How'd up you there, fix it up there? So, you snapped the winch post? Yeah, so the top of the winch, where the winch sort of, I've got a post that comes up and the winch sits flat on a bit of... Um, RHS and basically I drove the boat on and I don't know I mean I've done 600 hours on that outboard so I don't know how many times I've rammed that boat into that post so you know <laughs> uh, and sometimes it is dark and you're in a little bit of a hurry and probably give it a bit too much but anyway so I drove up to the ramp and it was quite steep and I had the trailer in a fair bit so I might have put a bit uh, more pressure on than I usually would and it was dark with this stage too and starting to drizzle so anyway uh, long story short I basically drove the boat on and it, I don't know, it kind of felt different as I, you know, sort of touched into the winch post and I leant over the front of the boat because I can lean over and then latch uh, the strap on and kick the ratchet over and that gets the boat secure and I actually get my son deal to drive the boat up so, I, you know, I can jump off without getting wet or whatever. Yeah. Um, lean over the front of the boat and go, oh, crap. Doesn't look right. It's going... What's going on here? That's not looking right. Anyway, I'd folded the thing completely over on itself and was just held on by, you know, an inch or two of the steel RHS. And so I, what did we do? I strapped it down the back corner of the boat just to get it up to the cabin we were staying in for that night. Yeah. And then I got a rope and ran the rope from, there's an, like a hook on the back of the post doubled it through the RHS and then trucky knots back to the front part of the trailer yep. just to hold that post on. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's all I had on me. So uh, that's how we got the boat on and off the following day. 
the Sunday morning it poured down around. We had a massive storm come through. I'm like, right, we'll just poke down nice and easy. I got to the servo down at Adamitabi, bought a couple of ratchet straps and basically strapped the boat, um, the front of the boat back to the, the secure part of the trailer. Yeah, that's what I did when it happened. Yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a flaming windy road to get from um, Adaminabi to Kudamundra is, you know, getting up over that range through Kuyandra, it is windy and with the amount of potholes and stuff, well, I can say I was a little bit nervous. We did stop every, well, I'm going to say we got five minutes out the road, I stopped and then I went 15 minutes and then we stopped at the river and everything was still, nothing had moved too far. So, you know, I then pushed, I think I drove to Chumit and pulled over there. Yeah, and uh, checked it again, and then once I sort of knew I got that far, I was pretty sweet there. It's a little bit flatter after there, so um, got it home, and then yeah, just unbolted it and got the MIG out and went to town with the MIG and put it all back together again. And nice. Give her a test up the barrage up there, and she's all sweet. The joys of fishing trips, eh? The stuff that happens behind the scenes. Yes, mate, exactly right. On the first uh, end of the first session, so um, yeah, Beautiful. that's the way it goes sometimes, but isn't it? Yep, now we're pretty much finished because we're rolling into what could be episode number three with the time we're at, um, <laughs> but I just want to go back to your thing. You know how you said about there about looking after yourself and then sleep? Um, yep. And I just feel like it, it fits in now, even though we could probably have a full episode on backgrounds, but, um, and you know, mental health and health issues and that. Yep. But I worked out that I I had suffered from chronic headaches for nearly eight or nine years uh, from when yep. I was 17 till probably eight years, probably till last year before last. Um, yep. And I think, I don't know exactly what it was, but I think I worked it out to be sleep. Um, yep. I used to sleep through my alarm, couldn't wake up at seven o'clock, woke up tired, and I think it mm. all come down to sleep. I used to sit on the computer and build the website till 11 o'clock at night, go to bed, yeah. get eight hours of sleep thinking, you know, yep. the rule is seven to nine hours, but the problem yep. is, is the pre part for sleep. So I actually, I read a lot about sleep and health, um, listen to a lot of podcasts about health and sleep and the importance of sleep is critical. So I'm not here to tell you about sleep because I don't really know much about it, but just if you yep. are struggling with anything, have a look yep. at your health, have a look at your sleep, learn about them yep. and change the way you have a routine. And as a summary, what I do now is I get off the computer at eight o'clock at the latest. I'm usually off before dinner, spend the night with the yep. family, don't look at a screen, yep. read a book about an hour before bed. And then yep. it's to, all to do with your melatonin levels in your body. Um, your body falls asleep properly. Even if you did sleep before, which I did, your body actually doesn't rest properly while it's asleep. Yep. Therefore, I woke up tired. So now I wake up heaps better and yep. I don't suffer from... I actually got a headache probably... It was probably one day every fortnight I didn't have a bad one, but I used to get a headache every single day for nearly seven and a half years. Um, yeah, wow. And now I only get one like a normal person. So, yeah, um, I think it's to do with food and uh, sleep. So, anyway, that's just just want to mention that on top of what you were yeah, explaining yeah. about the importance of sleeping with mental health, but also with yep. just general health um, as well. Yeah, for sure. But it doesn't hurt yeah. to – that's why we actually talked about it. We I do it as well. You only do either a night or a morning. Like if you're going to do a morning session on the winter cod, pull in early. You know how you talked about 9.30, 10? Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. I'll only yep. do one side of the scale or one night. So if I'm going for a three yep. or four night camp trip, I'll only do the morning or the afternoon. I'll only ever do yep. a, a, good, a solid night and a morning if it's only once yep. off. Um, yep. Otherwise, yeah, you lose no, too I'll much sleep. Yeah, the same. Yep. 
here. You know, I'm, yeah, there's guys that talk about fishing all night and doing that thing for you know a couple of days, and I am not one of them. Um, most definitely not. I will do an overnighter where I'll fish, but I'll only fish until you know maybe ten o'clock, and then I'm up again at five, which is still probably not enough sleep, and you don't really sleep that well when you're out there on the side of a bank somewhere, but. I wouldn't do that then the following night again. Yeah, you've got to make sure that yeah you get the the sleep in. But for me, it's not a choice. I don't have any other option because if I don't, then I will struggle basically. Yeah, yeah. And you set those wheels in motions for for a downhill slide, and it's not worth that to um, catch a fish. You know, even if even if you do catch a fish, a big fish, um, if I'm wrecked a week later and go and shit, you know, I've, I've sort of reset myself down a bit of a slippery slope here. That fish doesn't actually mean a whole lot when I'm feeling wrecked yep. a week or even two later, and that honestly it can snowball that quickly. So, um, you know, yeah, sleep is a big thing. Pushing yourself too hard. There's there's miles. There's alcohol. There's the food you eat. There's so many different um, choices that you know yep. we can make the right or wrong choice. Um, yeah, you got to look after your body to to keep your mind in check. Perfect. Health comes first and then get into the fishing. Yeah. Beautiful, mate. That'll do us because that was a long app. Um, hopefully, wherever you were traveling, <laughs> one, it was only two and a half hours uh, because that is us done. Thanks, mate. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. We'll be in touch soon. But um, if you guys want to hear more conversations between the two of us and other awesome minds, uh, we do plenty of Q&As in the membership together and plenty of videos as well. I'm currently working on a Rocky Bank session on late spring yellows, the techniques, how we do it, uh, the approach while we caught six, I think, yellows, seven yellows on camera. Um, Yep, good session. That video is going up in the next couple of days. But anyway, if you guys are after more, as Dan and I talked about, we are incredibly passionate about helping you guys catch more fish and that's the whole point of starting the membership platform. We're there to help you guys. Uh, we get messages from members wanting to plan a trip somewhere and we are there more than happy to reply and help you guys plan a yep. trip, answer any questions, learn about catching fish and pretty much have more fun. So that is that. Jump on socialfishing.com.au and check out the membership for that. But anyway, thanks, mate. Have a good afternoon and we'll be back soon. Thanks, Rose. Talk soon. <laughs>